Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 97 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with me, Stephen Hill. And as always, coming all the way from London Tan, Mr. Renfrey Deadman. Hello. How's London, Re- How's London Renfrey? London's all right. It's starting to get a lot busier than uh, it has been of late because there's an awful lot of people just ignoring uh, or, or, or um, well, I suppose I was going to say ignoring government advice, but then the government advice hasn't been very clear, has it? Um, nah. I think a lot of people have decided that uh, this whole thing's over. Uh, whether it is or not <laughs> which is it's a lot well i was i'm more sort of going have has that um <laughs> has that statue outside your house been smashed to pieces yet <laughs> oh that's a good point i need to um shout out my fellow bristolians uh yeah. for uh knocking down mr edward colston um uh he of um racism fame uh, <laughs> it's quite an interesting one actually very 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 briefly this is not the way we normally start the show but this is related no. of course because there's the colston hall in bristol which is a very mm. famous venue uh massive so, massive attack refused to play it didn't they yeah they did indeed and mm. um i've seen several gigs at colston hall it's a really nice venue have you ever been no i haven't no uh, i'm not part of the problem really <laughs> It's been redone recently. I saw Feeder there. I saw my vitriol there. I saw Bush there. Um, we talked about that last week, I think. And um, I like the way that you started with two bands who both are very highly represented by minorities, um, <laughs> just as if to prove the point that you're all right. I promise I didn't do that on purpose. Um, yeah, and uh, Edward. Col- it's named after Edward Colston and Edward Colston. It, shamefully, I can't remember exactly why he's a big fat race. He, he used to like sell slaves and stuff, something like that. Yeah, he's done some pretty bad. He's pretty a bad prick, things. anyway. But he was kind of seen as a bit of a local hero. And there's been a, a, ch- a church, a statue of Edward Colston in the centre of Bristol. And obviously, uh, it was uh, reports. It was worldwide news that it had been yeah. torn down. Mm-hmm. I was very proud to be a Bristolian that day. So, um, I I liked Nigel Farage's going no. It should be done democratically. And then when somebody went, um, yeah, what about the uh, the statue of Haddam Hussein getting torn down? He went, no, I didn't like that either. That should have been torn down <laughs> democratically as well. Like, you imagine <laughs> somebody in Iraq going, no, I'm going to write a strongly worded letter <laughs> to Saddam Hussein um, and complain that I won't be voting for him well, again yeah. unless he takes his statue down. No, that would that would probably have worked, that's, Nigel. You seem like you're really living in the real world. Oh, oh, that's literally what I was just about to say. Nigel Farage living in the real world there. Um, mm. It is interesting. Telling though. it how it is. <laughs> it is interesting, though, because uh, people have been talking about this, certainly since I um, lived in Bristol, which was, well, I moved to Bristol when I was four years old, so 31 years ago. Um, and mm. it's been a thing for a long time. So it's interesting that racial tensions um, in other parts of the world are the thing that tipped that over for Bristol. I've, I've actually been reading The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell recently as well. So I'm obsessed with tipping points. Um, but yeah, the the racism in other parts of the uh, or uh, uh, tragedy in the, another part of the world has made uh, Bristol people go, we're not standing for this anymore. We're going to rip it down. And, uh, this is a music podcast, yeah, by the way. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. I I'm just, just thought really mainly proud kind of... to be Bristolian right now. Okay. Well, good, good. I'm glad you are. So, um, do you want to do the music? Uh, not too proud, though, eh? Don't be too proud well, of where no. you're from. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm so, the old... I'm so proud that I'd like everyone to be Bristolian in the UK. <laughs> and if you're not, Ooh, you can go back hell. home. 
I'm joking. <laughs> hell. I'm um, joking. Carry on. Uh, we used to be part of Musicism <laughs> until you just said that. Uh, who are going to drop us the second they hear what you've just said, and probably rightly so. Um, but for now, we are part of Musicism. Uh, they provide some of the best online tutorials for you if you fancy yourself as a budding singer, guitarist, or producer. Go over to musicism.net and you can sign up for their courses there. You can get 25% off when you put the word Riot in capitals in the checkout. So you should do this. This week on the show is a bit of a catch up week. I've picked five albums that we haven't covered that have come out it's uh, recently. It's Steve's catch up week. It's my catch-up week. So we're going to be reviewing the new uh, latest albums from Ghost Poet, End, Backwash, Porridge Radio and Baron Womb. Plus, in Broken Records, we explore the media slut-shaming of Liz <laughs> Fair and her self-titled album. So uh, over on our Patreon page this week on patreon.com forward slash podcast for you subscribers over there a new writers review went up on block party's sophomore record something for the weekend which me and remfrey were pretty positive about weren't we almost correct it's actually called a weekend in the city but that's fine i think something what did i call the, it you called it something for the weekend i think you were thinking oh shit, of that's... the popular late night channel 4 series starring denise van outen where she used to no, regularly measure people's cocks no compared yeah what was that what what was that? A weekend show? in the city. What? I don't know, but I know something for the weekend is also a um, a divine comedy song. Ah, right, yeah, okay, as well, which is what I would think. Interesting, I would think Denise. interesting. Your brain goes to divine comedy, and mine goes to Denise Van Outen. Late, late night, Channel Four. <laughs> yeah, um, can't believe I just called it something for the weekend. That is absolutely would not be appropriate a title no. for that record at all. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is Frankie Madball all over again, isn't <laughs> <Yes>. it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry everyone so anyway but yes a weekend in the city by mm. block party just went out we were very very positive about that mm. um we also released um an old from, from may last year uh we did blur's magic whip and that finally came out for all of you freeloaders this week as well so you know you're a little bit behind and i would say actually the block party one is not only a better record but our dissection of it is better so maybe you should sign up at patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and if you do do that and you do it for the five pound tier which gives us our classic albums which we've been working bloody bloody hard on behind the scenes me particularly having nearly having a nervous breakdown i would well no come on you know i've well, yeah. <laughs> had a fucking nervous breakdown at what i've been doing recently which i'm not even going to tell you about yet it's not a fucking pity party come on it's not a pity party but but if it was i um anyway yeah so we've been working really hard on them so that's five pound a month you get them and on monday our two-part lamb of god special is going to be coming out talking about uh i knew you said ashes of the week but it's (laughs) not ashes of the week at all is it as the palace is is pick and sacrament and sacrament is my pick so that's coming as well like i say go to patreon.com forward slash right out podcast it's going to be a bit of a mammoth lamb of god week for those who want it to be because um we've got those two specials coming out on monday which obviously is what the lamb of god camp are most excited about and on friday they've got some record coming out i think they have yes Hmm. yeah so that should be interesting as well we'll be reviewing that next week um uh zone of danger again on the download forum i just want to point this out he pointed out to us Eogan Quig. 
Eogen from Broken Records. He's currently sitting at number three on our list of the worst albums ever made that's, with a self-titled debut album. That's what he's most famous for from Broken that's Records. Where he, where he, he appears to be now, Renfrey, because if you go on Spotify and you look at, um, <laughs> at, at like, what's it called? Related artists. Eogen's Related Artists have changed quite considerably. <gasps> You're kidding. I'm going to read you. If you can listen to, like, so you can listen to Eogan Quig Radio, which is, if you know on Spotify, yeah, yeah, yeah. the radio thing is them and stuff like them. So it's, the, the, Quig, it's the algorithms that Spotify is so famous yes, for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you were going, oh, I remember Eogan, I might go and listen to him. This is what Eogan Radio brings up on Spotify. It starts with Learn to Fly by Eogan Quig, then The Well by Iris. <laughs> <laughs> then, then Hard Dance Brainia by Amy for Enrique. <laughs> then Harsh Truth by Employed to Serve. Then Thinking of Me by Ollie Merz. <laughs> then She's the One by Yogan Quick. Then Creeping Slowly by Gold Key. Uh, <gasps> it a- then goes back back to Amy and Enrique, Peter Andre, Jedward, Employed to Serve, Ben Haino, Yogan Quick, Amy for Enrique, Ronan Park. Ronan Park and Peter Andre, sandwiched in between those two, is Praise Your Blades by Leached. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> so, oh my God. cheers, guys, for listening to... Actually listening. To, wow. To, I mean, Gold Key, A Crack in the Earth, goes into Only You by S Club Juniors. And the Eogan Radio finishes by with first words by Haggard Cat. So, um... Thanks for listening to the Eogan album when we did it on Broken Records. I didn't really expect anyone to actually go and listen That's to that wonderful. fucking album. I mean, but, I'm, I know. made a Broken Records playlist quite recently, although, I mean, it was only about a week ago. So uh, I don't know if that would have had that effect or not. But... Um, yeah, that's incredible. Do you think if we keep this campaign up, we can actually get his parents to start calling him Eogan rather than Owen? Oh, I hope so. Oh, I like that. <laughs> that's what we're oh. aiming for, ladies and gents. So thank he's, you for all your changing, hard work so far. Changing his name by deed poll, but without <laughs> actually changing the spelling of it. Just changing <laughs> the pronunciation by deed poll. Whilst crying. We don't, we don't, <laughs> like, we don't dislike Eogan's... It's not him, it's the system. Someone actually did tweet me and go, yes, yeah, who's Irish, presumably, was like, yes, hilarious. We Irish love it when you mispronounce our names. How original and funny. And it's like, yeah, I know. It's a bit of a cheap joke and it is silly. Um, But particularly for him, just for him. You said said you'd never do it for anyone except for him. So he should feel very, (laughs) very um, uh, uh, flattered. He should. Yeah, he should. Um, Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting little thing to point out. Let's go straight in to uh, the first of our records that we're going to review on this catch-up show. And it comes from Ghost Poet. Uh, The... the album actually came out. Um, in fact, we were going to get this record. We were told that we were going to get sent it because mm. I quite wanted to do it. You were very um, keen to do it. about three weeks ago. Yeah, I was very keen to do it. Um, it's called I Grow Tired, But I Dare Not Fall Asleep. It's the fourth album from the UK alt-electro artist. I'm finding it quite difficult to really find a way to describe exactly, succinctly, genre-wise, what Ghost Poet actually is. Um, very it's difficult. his first album. First time since 2000. I thought it was his fifth album. That's the only thing I'm going to say, but I don't care. Was it? Um, let me double check that. It is his fifth. You're right. You're quite right. Sorry. I don't know why I said fourth. Right. Um, 
yes, it's the first since 2017's Dark Days and Canapes. Um, both his debut album, Peanut Butter and Blue, Peanut Butter Blues and Melancholy Jams, and uh, his album Shedding Skin were both nominated for the Mercury Music Prize. I remember hearing Peanut Butter Blues back in the day and quite enjoying it, but um, due to kind of what I was listening to in the main around that time, uh, it felt quite. Um, minimalist and slight for me. It was gent on it. I was listening to a lot of gent back then. So uh, it was lots of like stuff and I thought it was quite slight and I thought I can't ever really, although I appreciate how good it is, I can't really imagine myself ever listening to this artist. Although, fast forward around a decade um, and I would be much more uh, open to that sort of thing. Hence why I really wanted to revisit um i say revisit visit really ghost poet i apologize if i'm jumping the gun here but is this record um quite uh, uh slight in the same way as that debut record was or is it quite how's how's he progressed well um he's definitely progressed i think in terms of uh, it's hard to say man because it's been so long since i listened to that album but i do think when I say slight, I mean that's that was my opinion of it as someone who just listened to a lot of metal sure. back then. Yeah, yeah. So I I wouldn't really feel comfortable in sort of going, oh well now he's much more this or he's much more that because I was probably listening to it with not very well equipped ears mm-hmm, mm-hmm. back yep. in kind of you know two thousand and eleven when that album came out. Mm-hmm. So um, so I don't really. I don't really know, but I do think from from my very, very hazy memory, this does feel like what I will say at the le- at, at, at the very, very least, I feel like this is a much a much warmer is warmer the right word? A much more analog sounding record. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Sounds pretty analog to me. Um I knew Actually, first of all, before I go into that, I'm going to ask you, why were you so keen to cover this record, Steve? Because you were very keen behind the scenes. You were like, oh, we need to get the ghost poet. Yeah, I just think, well, that's very good. Um, (laughs) There's a couple of reasons. One, because we have always, I mean, I think we've been pretty clear about this, especially over the last few weeks, but our background in heavy music in punk in rock in metal in that kind of thing obviously is something which means we've been able to cover those records and talk about those bands um with a lot more authority with a lot more authority and with more regularity due to our our pre-existing relationships with the the people who 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 cover those sort of bands um I'm always keen for us to be able to branch out and do more stuff. And I think this week's quite a good example of that, actually. Mm, but um, it is. I, I, I was really, really keen to get, not just get an indie act, because obviously when we started, we did Paul Weller and we did um, Echo and the Bunnymen, all acts that I like, but all acts who aren't really very contemporary. Yeah. And were releasing records that weren't really very good. Interpol as well, again, yeah. were another one. Whereas I looked at Ghost Poet and I thought, well, I think that would be something which would feel more contemporary and uh, he's actually feels like he's got kind of something to say. But I was definitely keen to cover Ghost Poet because I just felt, I just had a feeling that he was a, a going to be a, a much more interesting artist than, say, us doing. I know a few people have gone, why haven't you done 
bleed from within or i've done havoc or the ghost inside or whatever and it's like well i'm not sure that we i think we've had a lot of those conversations Mm -hmm. where we we haven't had as many conversations about artists like ghost poet and that to me is more interesting um 100 uh, agrees he's undoubtedly a more thing in, to mind he's undoubtedly a more interesting artist than those two examples havoc and bleed from within you know just off the top of your head i suppose um yeah. i didn't know exactly what to expect um going into this and um i didn't really have any idea um what it would be um but that still didn't stop me from being really surprised when what I heard came through. <laughs> because the yeah. the closest comparison I can make with Ghost Poet, and I'm not claiming that it is a good comparison, uh, I'm saying that I probably lack the um, musical knowledge to be able to make a decent comparison, but the closest comparison I could make was sort of mid-period Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, uh, particularly mm-hmm. a song like Concrete Pony, which mm-hmm. is... Um, very let love in era uh, uh nick cave and the bad seeds and there was a lot yeah. of really cool interesting um bits and pieces on this record which i just really wasn't expecting it was far more instrumental and uh um experimental mm-hmm. than i was expecting it to be um there's a beautiful i love that humana secondhand song oh mate what a great song yeah the piano notes and what becomes of Mm. me refrain of that it's just really spine tingling i think um he really creates some really cool sounds and moods and atmospheres on this record i'm glad you brought up humana secondhand straight away because i think that to me um is one of the key songs to kind of that i feel that i you you can explain just how unique an artist ghost poet is because that feels to me almost like an industrial song that could be do you know what i mean it's got the feel of dark gothic industrial music which is usually characterized through these kind of mechanical robotic cold tones that's what you kind of straight away think about when you think of you know early nine inch nails or Bauhaus or something like that do you know what I mean and it didn't didn't immediately occur to me but I see what you're saying yeah Mm. but this is made essentially with that that same feeling is evoked through a kind of a relentless snare drum but a very real sounding snare drum Mm -hmm. it sounds like a snare happening in the room right there with you and this kind of and with orchestral instruments, like with a cello, with a cello or a, I don't know if it's a cello or a double bass, um, but there's that, you know, that kind of really deep sounding orchestral kind of stringed like, instrument. Yeah, stringed instrument. And it's it's really dark. Mm, it's very and sinister. It's fuck, it's fucking brilliant. Mm. It's really, really good. I mean, it's probably my favorite song on the record, to be honest. It's probably, yeah, it's really, I think it's really good. There's a few actually, I don't know if it's absolutely my favorite because there's a few. Um, I, I mean, the tone of this record, I think, is is amazing. And I mean, when we were on the phone and we were talking about this before we came around to doing it, um, you were saying to me you expected it to be a hip hop album. Uh, due to it being you said it was called it had been called experimental hip-hop on one of the wikipedia pages yeah yeah, i'd like i'd like to clear that up very slightly um i didn't come to this going this is going to be a hip-hop record um because i think that's 
Well, I think that's kind of re- reductive um, because I think that comes from the same um, uh, feeling. Do you, you when we were growing up um, in record stores, uh, I mean, this is very much a thing of the past now, but quite often in record stores, you'd have a section which was called Urban, right? Yeah. And in Urban, you'd have Whitney Houston and NWA next to each other. They wouldn't actually be next to each other because they come in different parts of the alphabet. But, you know, my point is they'd all be in the same section. And basically, uh, I'm sure everyone's figured out by now what Urban meant was black music. Um, But there was kind of a... But obviously, you know, Whitney Houston and NWA is just a billion, million miles away from each other. Um, I... I came to ghost poet just knowing nothing and therefore being like i have no idea what this what this is going to be and when i went to get the files for this album i saw that it had been put into a hip-hop category which and that made me go okay it's a hip-hop artist then i started listening Mm. to it and i was like this ain't hip-hop at all and it's just a sort of example of that kind of quite lazy probably white stereotyping so yeah mm. just to clear that up because that wasn't yeah my, yeah yeah that wasn't what i brought to it but yeah mm. uh it was I mean, termed under experimental hip-hop which yes that's what i remember you saying even that i don't think is particularly accurate i think that is that uh label is apl- being applied literally because um i mean apologies for the pronunciation which i will fuck up uh, ubaro ujuimi um the the, the man behind uh, ghost well be. poet is black. I think that's the only reason why that's been put there. So, yeah. Well, it's got far more to do with kind of, I think, beat poetry. Yes. Jazz. It's more Scroobius um, Pip. I saw more Scroobius yeah. Pip in it than I did. Jazz and particularly, you, men- you mentioned um, Nick Cave. Yeah. I would say that kind of j- lounge jazz era, Tom Waits, um, yeah. is definitely more of a, sort of sonic comparison or i mean if you remember the post pop depression album that um josh homie and iggy pop did we was listening years to it back, which is just the other day it's a really good record that never fully got into it but i'm i'm trying to get into it proper but yeah I was oh i really like it a lot i think it's really good um <coughs> uh, you know in terms of where it sits with more um I don't want to use the word urban, but you just used it in my head. So <laughs> urban music. Um, there's a little bit of a massive attack vibe to sort of mm-hmm. mezzanine era bits of it. Yep. Um, you know, but then there's there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? You know, I, yep. I think, again, like, I, I remember it being HMV. I think it was in jazz, the one of the first albums. It was in the jazz, jazz world section. Right. But also in the hip hop section as well, right. in, in another HMV. So I do think he's, and I think that's kind of, although you go, oh God, I think it's kind of cool because what it means is people don't really know what this is. It's, it is kind of cool in a way. I mean, realistically, there is, like, if we're going back to old categorizations, apologies for people who don't know what a record store is. Ah, oh, those people probably exist. Um, but, you know, really Ghost Poets should be in rock slash pop. That like, which is basically just general music, um, but yeah, I think people look at a cover, they see a black artist, and they go, "Well, that's going to be hip hop or something like that." Absolutely not, not in any way, shape, or form. This is a far more. This is a really, really uh, interesting record. Here's the thing, though, Steve, I'm not a hundred percent sure it's a great record. 
I think right. I'm not even sure. I Well, no, I think it's a good record. Here's the, my thing with it. I think it's really interesting and it kept me guessing quite a lot. Um, I don't think, I think it's experimental and interesting, but I'm not sure if the ideas are engaging enough to um, keep me... Uh, keep me engaged for 45 minutes and 38 seconds not that that's a particularly long record or anything like that I don't know if I got bored but I did find the pace of this record a little bit too on the brakes it was just a little bit too it just never never fully got going for me if I'm totally honest Mm. I really admire the um experimentalism of it and i think there's some really cool ideas on here and the odd really great song as well like human a second hand um but uh there was a lot of there was a lot of points where i just felt like it wasn't it never quite blossomed into what it should what it could have been that's interesting um i'm don't really agree with that because i think the mood of the record is um uh, when you say it never really got going i think it gets going straight away i think it gets going to where it wants to go to i'm not sure that i mean are you kind of are you insinuating that you think there should be more um pace in it or it should be more dynamic overall because i can kind of i do appreciate that a little bit i Mm. mean i do kind of appreciate that that that's that feels like a valid criticism although I mean, it kind of feels like a valid criticism on one hand because I can see how someone would listen to this album and, for example, use a rhetoric like, it's a bit one-paced. Mm, I can understand mm, why someone mm. would say that. It's a bit one-paced. For me, I think it sits in a pocket of... It sits in a very dark, um, laid-back, lackadaisical pocket with often with such powerful results that I'm happy to be in its company. I also find it, I find it quite a dense record. I think considering at the start of this, I was saying, you know, it took me before I didn't think I'd like it because I thought it was too slight. I find this is a very, very dense record. I feel it's quite a, quite a hard record to crack. There's a lot going on. It's quite a hard, yeah, it's a hard record to, and it's a hard record to actually find um, a place where, like the first couple of listen, listens to it, it completely washed over me. I listened to it the day it came out because obviously I was interested in it. So I've been listening to it for about three weeks now. Um, and I have to say the first week or so, I was like, oh, well, maybe it's all right that we didn't cover it. But I think the more and more you listen to it and the more that you sort of can attune yourself to the pace of the record and accept that very, very slow lumbering pace of the record, I think the the more you are willing to let yourself be attuned to that pace, I think the more you will get out of the record and the more that those those elements um, won't pass you by. Do you mm, know what I mean? Mm, absolutely. It's certainly interesting because this, I think this album generally has had quite mixed reviews, which would probably um, support what you're saying in that it's a grower and it takes a little while to get into because it might have mixed reviews because some some people didn't bother <laughs> some people did yeah, you yeah. know um i it, and it's also interesting as well because i mean uh, off the top of my head as as you were saying that stuff about um one pace and so on and so forth there are definitely artists who 
you know, are far more one pace and probably even more one pace than this, even more, even less instrumentation, even less experimentation. Actually, the one that came to mind was Fink. I absolutely adore Fink and I've had him on the show a number of times, uh, as in I've put his records on the show a number of times. Uh, I gave you Perfect Darkness and Trade Off, which is a far more languid record, far more one pace, far less instrumentation. You could argue less experimentation, although I do think Fink is experimental in its own kind of way. Uh, and yeah, I love that. Um, but this didn't quite respond to me. I think really it's just got to come down to taste, really. I don't know. I feel I feel like think is more i feel like the think record is successful the whole way through whereas i think this has moments of being incredibly successful and then moments of just not really doing and being a bit languid and not doing an awful lot for me however i will confess that i've heard this three or four times and i might not have gone in on it enough so Mm. so i mean i'm i i would predict at this point i'm pushing the 20 listen right mark pretty close um i've probably listened to it every day since it came out sometimes a couple of times a day since it's come out and uh, only because you know as soon as I, I thought well at some point we will get around to this um and it is a very seductive record like it does kind of draw you in and i think i mean there's a song in it called rats in a sack uh, rats is it rats in a sack or rats in sack i've written rats rats in a sack obviously isn't it i've just written rats in sack which is, which is an amazing build i think and it's a very again you know talking about what we were talking about at the top of the show the kind of the um the sort of uh the the mindset of a it's kind of a a the mindset of a black man in Britain and the, le- the the level of paranoia that that induces in you. Um, I think it captures that really, really brilliantly. I kind of feel like that's what it's about. I mean, there's a line at the start that says, Britain's on a mission far right on the jukebox. Um, there's this sort of orchestral stuff and this bass line. And when it builds and builds and builds, and it comes to this chorus that just, go, that just says, out means out means out means out over and over again. And it's very disturbing and it's very, very threatening. And it's the sort of thing that maybe you wouldn't pick up on on the first or second listen. But when you get sort of maybe seven, eight, nine listens into it, those things start to really like pop out at you. Mm. Um, And I think that's when this record gets great. I mean, I am not. I don't think this record is incredible, Mm. to be honest, Mm. to to, to be absolutely clear. Um, When it comes to the end of the year, this will be in a sort I, you know I, I think it at least when it comes to sort of picking my favorite my 20 albums of the year this will probably be one that i think back to and go that was really good that ghost perk record that was really good is it good enough to get in the top 20 Ooh, maybe at kind of 19 20 but 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 i suspect it won't mm. that's my 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 how i suspect it um but i do think there are plenty of moments on this record that are brilliant i mean there's a song called this train wreck of a life which I think is incredible, incredible. And it, it wouldn't sound out of place on sort of amnesiac era Radiohead. Mm, mm-hmm. Yep. You know, um, and there's some brilliant, brilliant stuff. And I kind of, I get what you're saying about the pace and that sometimes it just meanders in. There are some songs in there that definitely aren't as strong as this train record of a life, Humana Second Hand, Rats in a Sack. I think, um, 
also uh there's a song on here called um black dog got silver eyes which is really mm. really good as yes. well um yes. and when it's good like that it's it's as good as pretty much anything that we've spoken about this year um but it's not consistently of that standard but then i still think it's good and it's 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 got it's it engages me the whole way through to be fair i'm saying exactly the same thing really i i think Mm. when it's good it's really fucking good but it's just kind of um it is quite wavery for me and it goes from being really fucking good to um fairly meh even even when it's meh i'm sort of sort of still enjoying it because it's still creating a nice nice isn't the right word it's still creating a an interesting atmosphere and atmospheric and um that that i I think i think that's it 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 continues to uh, it never loses you the atmosphere the atmosphere is so consistent Mm. throughout the whole record that even when there are songs that maybe aren't quite as engaging or inspiring as the very very best parts of this record because the overall sort of atmosphere that the the record as a whole creates i think it still does keep you at at least interested if not going oh wow this is brilliant i agree i um as i said it's 45 minutes 38 seconds there was no point where i went i am bored of this record i but i did notice my attention wavering quite a lot throughout it which doesn't which doesn't mean that i was ever at the point where i'm like right i'm really bored now but it was yeah it was up and down for quite a lot of Mm. it i think it's a really interesting album maybe i should have um given it a bit more time although we are doing five releases this week um and um it was the of the five you've chosen five very diverse interesting all five of these records are definitely interesting undoubtedly um of the five you sent me it's the one that I uh, gravitated towards the least, if I'm totally mm. honest. But then the other four are all very, well, they're very, they're very, very different. I mean, comparing them is a bit stupid anyway. But yeah, but just of of these five, it was the one I gravitated towards the least. Doesn't mean it's the worst necessarily, um, but um, it's probably the one that I got the least out of in the last week that I've been listening to these releases. So Fair enough. Um, I definitely think he's... Uh, he's worth sort of persevering with. And I would suggest to anyone who hasn't listened to Ghost Poet before to to check this album out. I mean, it's made me go, I'm going to go back and listen to the rest of his back catalogue and probably go back to um, Peanut Butter Blues and Melancholy Jams and listen to it with the sort of, with the the mindset that I have today as opposed to someone who just wanted to listen to, you know, Periphery and the Dillinger Escape Plan Mm -hmm, (laughs) back in 2011. mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, I I think I'm I'm definitely going to do that. So, uh, yeah, there you go. That's Ghost Poet. The album is called I Grow Tired, But I Dare Not Fall Asleep. And it is out right now. Right now. It is out right Right now. now. Right now. Right right now. (laughs) Um, We are going to change tact quite significantly now because the next album we're going to be covering is from the band end it is called splinters from an ever-changing face it's a debut album from a hardcore supergroup started by super producer the man who's produced pretty much every decent stroke brilliant metal release of the last oh, long time uh, and uh, member of fit for an autopsy will putney it also features brendan murphy from counterparts and billy reimer formerly the dillinger escape plan alongside members and former members of the likes of misery signals and shy halud we um 
a lot of people asked us if we were going to cover this um, and why we didn't cover it last week. I'll tell you why we didn't cover it last week. We didn't get sent it, Renfrey. Mm. Mm. This is, see, this is, you start sucking up to Ghost Poet and then they stop sending you the metal albums anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Tragedy <laughs> so end, of our lives. We're going to get sent nothing in the end. Uh, um, no, it's a shame we didn't get sent this because um, last week was, uh, well, it ended up being an all right week, but um, it was for a while, it was quite a fallow <laughs> week for us for, for a bit. Um, and this would have helped it no end. Yeah, See it certainly would. But we had no end. I did. Well, Come on, I'm yeah. really proud of that. Mm. But we had no end. Uh, yeah. The band's called End. Oh. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, okay, good. Anyway, good this, isn't it? This is good, isn't oh, it? That's fucking brilliant. Um, hardcore meets grind. Hardcore by way of Silent Hill. Um... Yeah, I love this. It's really, really nasty. It's fucking savage. Um, they know how to turn on a dime really well in order to get the absolute best out of their riffs. Uh, it's 32 minutes and 55 seconds long. Um, arguably, it is. Oh, do I want to say that? I was about to say arguably it is relatively one-dimensional. Although, actually, I think that's a little bit harsh. Well, uh when you were saying that about Ghost Poet, I mean, and you were going, you know, it's not as there's some other band. And I, my brain immediately went to this because, the, you know, this is the sort of thing that just does one pretty much one thing, which is kill everything. Just, um, just does it extraordinarily well, though. It and does do it really well. And the thing is, is I have said this from week one on this podcast and before. I can't get enough of the entombed stuff yeah I just yeah, can't yeah. get enough yeah that trap them black breath thing and i don't and i actually think there is more to it than them being just one of those bands there is, there is actually definitely. a hell of a lot more to it i would like as i said that i was like i probably should have saved that until i've been able to quantify it alongside what else this does yeah but when you mix kind of deathcore naughty's hardcore and sort of Swedish death metal together. Mm. Guess who's going to like it? Well, that feel, that feeling of just sort of, um, you know, when you like grit your teeth and you, you just start sort of headbanging without even, it's almost like an automatic reaction if you're a massive metalhead because you're really into something. I mm. found that the band were able to change things up. When I say... They turn on. They know how to turn on a dime really well in order to get the best out of their riffs. What I really mean is, they managed to make me grit my teeth and bang my head for the entire thirty-three minutes because they would change things in such a way that made everything feel fresh and feel new, even though sonically it's relatively on one level. Um, bit bit of a bit of a um tangent is thrown in with the final track sands of sleep these unexpected mm -hmm. female vocals come in from uh guest vocalist tana merritt who yep. i'm not familiar with tana merritt do you know tana merritt uh i do not um <clears throat> and that makes it things a little bit different i've actually moaned in the past about metal bands um uh <laughs> doing records where um it's all the same thing for the first 10 tracks and then the last track is the only track where they do something experimental but then at the mm -hmm. same time the quality of this is so high 
that you just and, and also it's 33 minutes i mean often when i've complained about that in the past it's veteran metal acts who are treading out the same thing over and over again who are releasing a 50 minute record it's their 11th album and it's just a formula that they have fallen into and that's why i rally against it end haven't been around long enough to fall into a formula so yeah um and actually i i strongly think that from listening to this record there are enough hints on it to suggest that if there is to be a second record it will go off in different directions and different routes i at the at this point in time i trust that end are capable of going into far more different directions than uh you know than a lot of the bands have complained about in the past um but i i tanner merritt is in a band called oh brother by the way no oh brother i didn't realize that mm. was her that's amazing um mm. this album got five k's in kerrang it did um, gotta be luke morton surely luke morton <laughs> i can see why it's really it's top to bottom brilliant it's really really good it's face melting it's like it's it is different enough throughout it's the, like if it was if it was a few minutes more it would be too much but it is actually quite perfectly balanced i think i think 33 minutes is a pretty good length for this kind of thing um and it just works really really well and i was thinking about this the other day it's quite an interesting thing that's going on with supergroups recently isn't it because supergroups historically have been derided and are often mocked and most people are just like well you don't get the chemistry yada 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 but i think because of the manner in which music's changed i think that's really beginning to change i mean we get supergroups relatively often these days and go this is awesome this is really good you know um and I think that is beginning to change because of the way that music is made. I think back in the past when you had a supergroup, you obviously all had to get together into the same studio in the same building. You had to plan a specific time, blah, blah, blah. And there'd be a lot more kind of risk to it. Whereas with supergroups these days, you can just go email a friend and say, hey, I was thinking maybe you wanted to contribute some stuff to this. What do you think of this? They do their part at their house and then send it back and there's like a lot less pressure to kind of make it good um if it's not good you just delete it or you just you know don't release it or whatever um and i feel it was just an interesting thing that i was thinking about the other day i wonder if this whole kind of myth that oh supergroups they're not any good it will take it'll take time for the general perception to change but i really think that that perception is kind of getting dead in the water a little bit if you think about stuff like uh sightless pit um what else have we had recently we've done fucking tons of them which have been fucking well he- i mean there's hesitation i think one of these hesitation, guys is in wounds. hesitation wounds yeah 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 um yeah we had umbra vitae um, vitae, the... vitae yeah. yeah i mean they're they're where your wounds is a pretty good example i mean wounds. umbra vitae are one of the least good examples in my opinion and they're pretty fucking mm. good you know, mm. I certainly think End is better than Ember Vitae by quite a significant amount, actually. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I probably... Well, not probably. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do, actually. Mm. But there you go. Um, Renfrey in liking a metal album more than me. Shocker. 
weird when um, people say one thing on the internet that someone doesn't like something when, as a matter of fact, it's not true. And they do. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> He's in holding on to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I See, here's the thing. Well, I, obviously, I like this because I always like this type of thing. Um, You're a bit more lukewarm than I am, though. Well, the only I think the only reason I am a little bit more lukewarm with it is because maybe because I I like all of it and I'm right. sort of going as I I just go well yeah obviously I like this and it, I it's got to the point where I maybe shouldn't talk about these sort of bands anymore <laughs> because I'm completely <laughs> incapable of knowing which one is better than the other one and vice versa because this to me is you know like we talked about leech before who I know are a little bit different and I fucking raved about them and I you know I could go on like there's there's bits in it like what I think is cool about it is like I said at the top you know it it's got that kind of naughty early metallic hardcore thing but it has been puffed up and almost steroided up Mm. by deathcore production and you would sort of expect with Will Putney involved that it would sound fucking fucking glorious and then it's got the the more sludgy parts of hardcore and that sort of chainsaw riffy swedish melodeth like vibe to it as well so there's a lot more on it than just calling it kind of straight hardcore definitely and there's also little kind of techie bits in below it as well so there's quite a lot of different i mean again we mentioned iris uh because obviously alongside the organ they're probably going out on tour together um <laughs> but we when we reviewed iris and i was like what's great about this is just so many of the, all the bits from metal that you just love mm. all kind of smushed together really really brilliantly but because they do it with such um they do it all so succinctly it doesn't really feel like oh there's that bit and that it all just feels like one thing so you can put this on and just go oh yeah you know it's another band doing that kind of big like sludgy hardcore entombed worship thing but there's actually a hell of a lot more individual parts that make up the record so i think it's really really good that being said do i think it's so much better than like you know 5ks do i think it's so much better than every other band who've ever done this um i don't really know if i do i don't really know if this is specifically better than so many more of the other bands who also do this type of thing also whom i very very much love i mean you brought up umbra vitae i think this is probably better than umbra vitae just about but again i really love that <laughs> i think like, i think this i mean i mean a bit of a problem with, i think like, how much I, I like this stuff. i think this is quite a lot better than umbra vitae if i'm if i'm honest i mean i gave that a seven in in metal hammer um mm. and i'd probably give this a nine mm. uh, i think this is okay. i think this is really really good i think the reason this is better um than um a lot of the other stuff that we, we're talking about is literally what you have just said that whole thing of combining lots and lots of elements together from different types of extreme music but them being integrated so well that it doesn't feel like they're lots of individual parts what was the there was a album that did extraordinarily well uh in the last couple of years that did that oh maya by conjurer um that is the difference yeah. between brilliant incredible metal of this type and you know still quite good but not as good metal it's when it all just feels so kind of natural and you know i mean conjurer combine sludge hardcore 
doom uh etc etc but you never kind of go oh that's the doom bit that's the you know it's just brilliantly molded and melded and integrated all really well um i'm not saying this record is as good as maya or even that it sounds like maya because it doesn't but i do think they share characteristics with one another there and I'm very, very... Kerrang! is the magazine that I grew up listening to. So I'm probably more invested, even to this day, when, you know, I'm not a regular Kerrang! reader anymore. I pick it up from time to time. But just because of that kid inside me who put so much stock in their reviews when I was younger, um, I get very kind of like... When when Kerrang! gives something 5Ks, I go, well, does this really deserve 5Ks? And I listened to this, I was like, I think it probably does. I mean, it feels like a low 5K, if that makes sense. To, to um, But 4Ks doesn't feel like enough. So I, th- I think they kind of got it bang on. Um, hmm. I think, it, I think well, it's a go. very good record. I like it a lot. It's, it's really good. I think what you've learned from this, uh, listener, is the irony is, after saying, well, we shouldn't listen to Renfrey's opinion about metal, actually... You shouldn't listen to mine. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you shouldn't listen to my opinion. You shouldn't listen to my opinion because I just like everything, and I'm just going to say it's good. And I'm actually quite boring because actually, do you know you what? are a much better judge of this type of thing than I am? I don't because I, I just roll over and let it get my belly tickled by it. I mean, so, I, I I don't genuinely think that, but then there is there is sometimes I'm not going to go on a big thing about the metal press but sometimes you look at people who review these releases and you do think you just enjoy having a distorted guitar and someone screaming in your face and you do wonder sometimes i'm not making this accusation at you there's certainly far worse people uh who i'm I'm, I'm not gonna name who i'm not gonna name but you know there are some people where you just kind of go well provided someone's screaming and a guitar's distorted and someone's drumming really fast you're going to love it. And it's like, you probably shouldn't review extreme music because you're just mm. going to say everything's amazing. And this is what I moan about, yada, 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 we've been through it. Yeah. But, you know, I think this is genuinely really fucking good. Really good. You've made, you've made Adam Reese cry. <laughs> Did I? I fucking love Adam. What, what you've just said is just, he, he thinks you're talking about him. Oh. He's talking about you, He's talking about you, Adam. Um, I'm not talking about Adam. I fucking love him. No, he's not talking about Adam. Uh, anyway, yes. Um, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right, to be fair, mate. And I am probably quite guilty of it because I sat here and I just went... I, my notes for everything this, re- this week, I've got loads of notes. And my notes for this just said, good this, innit? <laughs> That's it. That's it. Basically, what I'm trying to say is no one should review metal except for me. <laughs> now let's move on what a different world we'd be living in um <laughs> uh that's splinters from an ever-changing face by end let's move on um to something i think genuinely exciting uh backwash god has nothing to do with it leave him out of it it's a, this is the third album from a trans rapper who may who melds hip-hop punk industrial kind of blues and all kinds of other dark shit together um mainly metal if you go mainly metal yeah yeah mainly but there is i think there's there a, are other uh, bits other in there bit. but it's but it's mainly mm. metal 
Um, I found this on Apple Music uh, when it came up as something that I might like because we never got a chance to talk about More Mother. So I'm going to mention it now. Um, I'll shout out Rich Hobson because Rich Hobson, who is another Metal Hammer writer. Um, Hello, Rich. Back when we had when we had the conversation about clipping uh, last year, and I was like, "Wow, this stuff's great." Um, I got sent a lot of recommendations in the aftermath of that, and one of them was More Mother. And um, because it was the end of the year, we didn't get a chance to cover the More Mother record. But is that M double M double O R or M O R E? Yes, M double O R. As in, as in the more, as in Othello. Yeah, and. It is a fucking incredible record that unfortunately we didn't get a chance to cover on the show. It came out very um, late last year, didn't it? It was busy. Yeah, it did. I think it came out quite late last year. Oh, I, I definitely heard it so late that we were in the middle of best album of the decade yeah, and all that kind of stuff yeah. and album of the year and all that yada yada. Don't so, uh, yeah, it was busy. <laughs> um, but anyway, I love the record and I've always kind of, I've been trying to keep an eye out on stuff of that ilk ever since. And this came up as a because this is a new album i think this came out last week um and it came up as a you know our related artist because you like more yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. and i was like oh it's it's new let's have a listen to it and fuck me uh this is maybe not quite as dark as that more mother album which is really fucking dark by the way you should listen to it but this is a very dark very very oppressive um very unsettling very personal account of backwashes life um and all the kind of uh the anger and the pent-up rage and the frustrations that she has felt about lots of things um in a very very brief 22 minute although in 22 minutes the amount of shit that she gets done is pretty fucking astonishing i would say you get a lot thrown at you in in uh, 22 minutes and six seconds you know i like my accuracy um it mm-hmm. is um i mean i you've you know i made the stress that it was mainly metal elements and this is a predominantly hip-hop record with metal elements obviously immediately that will conjure new metal but we should get that far 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 out of your mind this is far closer to the experimentation of say a zeal and Arda than it is spine shank i don't think zeal and Arda is a great shout I, I, in terms of the feel of in terms the, of the, the feel record. of it yeah in terms of the feel of it this doesn't sound like zeal and Arda. i'm not trying to compare them but there is a kind of um uh intangible th- yeah feel that that makes them related isn't it's, there it's the kind of quasi-religious invoking of satanic imagery yes, as well yes. that is very, very uh, pronounced on this record and obviously makes up a huge part yeah. of Zelenada. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, you know, from the very, very first song. So the very first song is the, the title track. Second. And the hook mm. is a sample of Ozzy Osbourne's famous oh please god no oh please on black sabbath by black sabbath and it even chucks in the riff from black sabbath yeah right at the end towards the end of the song so you've basically got just in case you didn't get the reference (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah it's uh 
it's it's terrifying it's really well done i mean you know you get there's been quite a few recently because um uh black sabbath was 50 years old not not very long ago and um you know you'll get um older people um saying how when they first put black sabbath on in 1970 february i believe it was 1970 it was the most terrifying thing they'd ever heard in their life yada 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 and that's something that even you and i probably can't really relate to because uh, you know, i've never found black sabbath scary ever you know and that's not me being like aren't i hard it's because we had been um uh we had been thrown so many things since then which were just far scarier and taking it far further yada 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 that's not me saying black sabbath or shit or anything like that but you know i never got that sense of it from it um this kind of manages to make that black sabbath original track or elements of that original black sabbath track genuinely scary just by sort of slowing it down and dooming it up um it is it's a really interesting it's a really interesting way to start the record and it shows mm. how it shows kind of part of the journey that you're going to go go on i mean there's plenty more samples as this record goes on um into the void not the black sabbath track but in this yeah, case the nine say, yeah. the nine inch nails track is um sampled and doomed up and kind of mm -hmm. made maybe even more oppressive than the original uh on the song into the void again uh, you know there's absolutely no uh, she's very proudly showing these influences i think there's no kind of attempt to no, hide no. it or anything like that it's very very nope. proud um i i'm guessing that the uh drum part on adolescence is uh when the levee breaks by led zeppelin um i i i figured it would be yeah it if, sounds like it if is, it, doesn't it if it isn't sampled from it it is just wholesale ripped off and i don't think she'd yeah. mind me saying that it's practically the same um i mean this isn't metal but uh heaven's interlude samples in heaven the lady radiator song which is from twin peaks i believe is mm -hmm. it twin peaks and that was famously covered by pixies yeah. um so there's loads of references to alternative heavy music you know um mm. spell and i would say just just before you go on even more so on the previous two records that actually sounds like a kind of i think what's interesting about this is even though all these kind of metal and rock elements are thrown into it for me it really feels like something quite different from somebody just rapping over the top of like you know rock songs well it's I not think it is it is far more like the other two albums actually are much more that are probably even more relatable to what you think of when you think of like rap rock or something. Mm. Whereas this I think is uh, a, a sort of weirdly unquantifiable, intangible genre in a lot of ways. I think the key thing is when I hear about records like this, immediately my gimmicky, uh senses start tingling and i go well that's all great and stuff that it's like hip-hop mixed with metal yada yada but you know i think back to i mentioned on the phone to you the other day Beatallica, who if you don't know are i don't know a band a person who mix beatles with metallica and you know it's cool it's cool to listen to and go oh wow you managed to make i don't know um obi la di da di da and master of puppets work together or whatever you know whatever it actually is 
don't know if they have managed to do that, but if if you do, give us a shout because that'd be interesting to hear. Um, but this doesn't have any sense of gimmick to it at all. Um, she owns those samples in in such a way that it all, they almost feel original in a weird way. Um, I do think that the brevity of this record really works in its favour. I do think that if it had gone on for maybe another 10 minutes, there is a chance that the veneer would have started to slip slightly and it would have started to fall into gimmickry, gimmickry, gimmicky territory. But I don't think it does because because of its brevity, because the ideas, the, the, the mixing is done so fucking well. The mixing of ideas, I mean, is done so well. Um, and I think it's... And as you say, you go on a hell of a journey in 20 minutes. Hell of a journey. It's really, really Mm. impressive. And we've mentioned a lot about all the stuff that has been sampled. But um, going to a song like Spells, uh, which is, uh, it might have samples on it, although I don't recognize them if they are. But that's, you know, what I would see as like a wholly original song. And um, Spells evokes this kind of attitude, like... It feels like a follow the leader era corn, but darker, that song, <laughs> I feel, you know? Mm. Um, and and, and it, it works really well. It's a really, really cool song. There were some really, it's a, it's a fascinating release. This I said to you on the phone, I was like, where the fuck did you find this? Because I know nothing about this um, at all. Absolutely nothing. And I don't see anyone talking about backwash i don't see we should we should actually point out it's backwash with an x as in it's back yeah so it's x wash yeah yeah um, if you're looking for it yeah on spotify or whatever um yeah i mean i i i think it's brilliant i think the kind of the stuff like the hook on um on the second track black magic which has a oh I yeah black magic i fuck with black magic yes I, I fuck with black and it's spat in a way i mean i was actually talking to um black magic's great to, Mer- to merlin um merlin Alderslade of metal hammer fame Hello. and um merlin and he actually said that the kind of and he like was was like wow this is great where did you find this and he said to me that it kind of reminds him of eminem and her flow that she does kind of spit these rhymes in a ferocity that is comparable. I don't really hear that sonically personally. Like I don't actually think there's a sort of sonic comparison between her and Eminem, but when no, but you're I can talking about rhythmically, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and I, but I think, you know, like in terms of the sheer kind of anger and aggression. And I, I think the other thing that's worth saying, and this is something that, you know, I have bemoaned from a lot of uh, hip hop artists, but I guess kind of a lot of, artists in the more um more modern artists in general and we spoke about it a lot with the 1975 which was like an odd com- I mean, it's not a comparison to make at this point but i'm just saying you know there seems to be a thing in kind of more populist music at the moment where um a band will skit through and try and fill as many different ideas into you know short songs which obviously this has got a lot of short songs on it, but yep. short songs and then wildly veering to a completely different genre. This sits in, again, much like Ghost Poet, the mood of this record. 
Um, it it does feel like a, in 22 minutes for it to feel like a proper journey. Yeah. To go from that opening Black Sabbath and Black Magic and it being really fucking aggressive and um, I mean, there's a song. One of my favorite songs on it is Black Sheep. Is probably probably that Redemption, the last song. But Black Sheep is incredible. It's two minutes long. It does so much and it expresses such ire at her family who clearly aren't happy mm. with the idea of her transitioning. It kind of, it talks about suicidal thoughts. It says, um, I think you're mad. You think you're mad because you lost control. You want me to fall in line with the X and O's. It's been years since I talked to Grammy and I think it's pretty sad how I lost the family. Um, but then ends by going, I would have done the same thing if it all ha- if I had to do it all again, I would have mm. done exactly the same thing, mm. which is really fucking powerful. Mm. Um, and it straddles this line between emotional confessional hip hop mixed with the darkness in the same sort of way as you mentioned Zionada do with, with a lot of the kind of thrug thuggish strut of the bravado that we were talking about last week, that hip hop obviously is, is it, you know, a, a huge part of hip hop, but I mean, I, I think, you know, the last track redemption is, I think is incredible. Yeah. Um, it has a real kind of Delta Blues feel to it. Yes. Um, talking about losing a son but gaining a daughter. Mm. Um, it's really, really great. I mean, it's what I kind of would always hope the sort of artists and albums and releases that we try and champion and try and find is. It's unique. It's powerful. It's personal doesn't really conform to any kind of pre-existing genre or social or i mean even um gender tropes do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. in in hip-hop it's 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 a completely unique proposition of a record and that it gets to do all of that with such power in such a short space of time Mm. man i fucking i think this record's fucking brilliant i can't really argue brilliant i can't really argue with any of that um interestingly you brought up merlin i'm wondering would this i'm sure merlin would love to cover this in hammer but obviously you know it doesn't so am i it doesn't it doesn't work like that and merlin has to think about his audience and the metal hammer audience and all this sort of thing and I think there's a real tragedy in that inevitably this would get backlash. Backwash would get backlash if she were covered in Metal Hammer because of um, the ignorant attitude of well, sa- we'll sad- sadly a lot. Oh, right. Oh, OK. Do you, do you know if um, she is going to get covered in Hammer? Hmm. Maybe. Oh, right. OK. <laughs> but no, I was just I was just wondering because I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't send it to Merlin to go, hey, mate, check this out. I was like, this this is the sort of thing that Hammer should should be covering. Right, right, right. Like, you know, there's enough, you know, if stuff like Limp Biscuit gets covered. Yeah. Like, I'm not in a very, very trite, very, very trite comparison. But if you're, you know, if if you're happy to, and and let's have a, you know, Scar Lords and stuff like that got covered. Horror. I was actually going to bring up um, a bit more of an out of the box comparison. If Twin Temple are covered in Metal Hammer, then this should be covered yep. in Metal Hammer. Now, I am not yep. saying that Twin Temple shouldn't be in Metal Hammer. Um, I actually think it's cool that they are in there. But musically, Twin Temple have literally nothing to do with metal. P- musically. No. The only reason no. they're in Hammer 
is because they attract metal fans because of their satanic imagery and so on and so forth. I ain't dissing Twin Temple. I actually really like that record. It's a really fun do what record. It ain't metal, mm. but I understand why it's coming. Well, it's not original either, is it? It's Let's not original honest. either. No, no, no. It's, it's not. not. Got, I mean, when people were talking about that album when it came out, I mean, people were saying to us like, "Oh, you should listen to it." It's I've never heard anything like it before, and it's like, well, obviously you've never heard the Ronettes. Well, obviously like, you've, you've never, never heard, heard do what. Yeah, you, you haven't. Or, heard do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it, that is not a, an original record in any way whatsoever the only it's just not the only original thing as far as i'm aware is com- talking about is Satan. combining satanic imagery with that music but bar that there's nothing original. now not, this isn't yeah. this isn't me dissing twin temple like i said i like that record it actually got into my metal hammer albums of the year you know uh, mm-hmm. it was number 20 but it was you know in my hammer albums of the year so i really like it but all i'm saying is if twin temple are covered and generally embraced like i don't think there's there's not too much I don't know. No. I don't really go on. But I don't no. think people. I don't think people moan too much. Um, this has musically much more to do with. I mean, there's. I was going to say there's guitars in it. There's guitars in Twin, Twin Temple, but there's distortion in it for starters. You know, there's no distortion in Twin Temple. Um, there's Ozzy Osbourne in it. There's Ozzy Osbourne. Exactly. <laughs> there's Ozzy fucking Osbourne in it. Um, but, and she looks like if you you look at the, the 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 cover and you look at the the aesthetic of everything that she does and you know this is not that's not you know there was that little period where big hip-hop artists were kind of taking the the imagery of black metal and death metal and putting it on their their stuff you know and Mm. turning their their stage shows and their you know hoodies and stuff into kind of very metal and aesthetic inspired stuff which is cool um but she's doing that and actually musically being linked to it as well absolutely that that's exactly my point and i wonder what the reaction will be if slash when backwash are covered in a metal hammer type magazine uh well we'll find out i guess we'll guess we'll see but look from our point of view it's definitely the sort of thing we should be covering. I know someone said last week, like, oh, you, you know, you, <laughs> you covered Run the Jewels without really knowing, you know, anything about hip hop or whatever. And it's like, well, I actually do listen to quite a lot of hip hop. And um, I know you don't so much, but I think this is such a unique record. I mean, I'm hoping that at this point, even though you've kind of admitted that you have a bit of a tin ear for hip hop, you're starting to be able to see how, like the kind of the, how broad the genre really is with records like this being brought in. A hundred percent. And also, I mean, just to pick up on that point, the, the person, um, I can't remember who it was, but someone commented, it's an, it's ironic that you cover run the jewels. Um, and then you complain that enemy, um, will cover artists. Call Mastodon an emo band. It, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll cover, artists when they don't know what they're talking about i think the massive difference is we own up we we always caveat stuff with you know i don't tend to listen to this kind of thing uh which you can do in this medium which you can't i mean you're, you're never going to see a written review where you know the the author spends the first paragraph going just to let you know i don't normally listen to this kind of thing but yada yada it's just a ridiculous waste of word count it would just never happen or it'd be very unlikely to happen maybe more so online these days but even then i don't think it would um and the point i mean we, we both sort of went in on him on twitter and said could you point out 
where you know if there's any point where we've seemed to come across as uh not knowing what we're talking about um and they sort of scurried away and didn't say anything so i assume that's fine um but you know the difference is enemy covering something blatantly not knowing anything about it and then making an absolute ridiculous boob by saying stuff like converge comparing converge to acdc i don't think well we the do that. the 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 mastodon um video that they did now i'm not gonna take the piss out they said mastodon rather than mastodon that's fine but i think they were sort of went oh yeah emo metal about mastodon i mean yeah in a video and did kind of go we don't really listen to lots of metal but this is like this is emo metal isn't it about mastodon which i think kind of got people's backs up a little bit um when was i don't that? think we when was that uh, a few about four years ago okay when it was when uh, it was, yeah it was when emperor sam came out i mean i'm guessing that came if you've from... ever seen that video and i'm sorry i'm sure you have um if you're listening uh yeah it, it was not good it i'm guessing good. that came from the fact that obviously emperor of sand is a more emotional record than macedon normally do because of the associations with their friends who'd been part who'd passed mm. away and so on and so forth and their family members but you know yeah no i don't think it was that oh, was it I not it was just it was he's singing rather than going raw 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 okay why it's yeah. emo metal i mean this is the thing if you can't if you, way too way too much credit way too much credit there, if I you think. can't see the but di- anyway if you can't see the differences between those nuances then you know you're not really paying attention um mm. but that's fine you know but i mean that's why i kind of continue to bring stuff like this in because i mean it will be easier for you like you know i think uh, he said, "Are oh, we? You know, you, we were comparing Clipping to Run the Jewels. The only reason I brought Clipping up is because it was the first sort of hip hop band that you'd shown any real kind of interest, um, positive reaction towards on this sh- on think, this show, yeah, on this show, yeah. And I don't think Clipping sound like Run the Jewels at all. I don't think do Backwash I. sounds like Clipping nope. or Run the Jewels. And I don't think any of those three have anything to do with each other, other than broadly they are hip hop bands." But in Ex- the same way, experimental hip hop bands, I would point out. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think even calling Run the Jewels experimental hip hop, I think they're m- maybe more progressively minded hip hop. But compared to 50 Cent, Run the Jewels are fucking. Dope, yeah, I know. But, but yeah, okay. But then <laughs> you, know. you could say, then you could say, well, Trivium are an experimental metal band in comparison to Godsmack. I, I I I don't think it's as good a comparison as Run the Jewels. I don't I don't think Trivium are as experimental in their field as Run the Jewels are in theirs. But you know, that's a debate for another day. I think. I think certainly at the moment, it's you know there's not many. I mean, there's one, isn't there? There's one metal album that we keep going. Why can't you all be like that? And you know what it is. You know, I don't need to say it. About a month. <laughs> yeah monomath yeah um but i just think that this is when something like this comes along and this is why i r- really do want hammer to cover it is because i do think more experimental and that like you're right those boundaries need to be pushed out as further and further and further in that scene so That's... this is really not really a conversation about what hip-hop can and can't do it's more a conversation of if we bring somebody as creative and unique as backwash into the metal scene then that can really should only really be a good thing for 
Absolutely. that scene in general. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, give this album a listen. Really, really do. It's really good. It's called God Has Nothing to Do With It. Leave him out of it. And it is by Backwash. That's Back X Wash. Um, so let's move on to the next record we're going to talk about, which comes from Porridge Radio. The album is called Every Bad. It is the debut full length, sort of, um, by the British indie rock band Porridge Radio. They're from Brighton. Um, I sort of say sort of because they have self-released quite a lot of um, material in the well, the five years they've been a band. I feel um, like I'm picking you up on stuff a lot uh, this week, but The Guardian said it was their second album. Yeah, well, they've self-released a bunch of stuff. Right, okay. So this is their first album on a on a it's label. a bit like if i if, if i said slipknot slipknot is the first slipknot album and you went no it isn't mate feed kill repeat is is it okay would, all right would that be well i i i i didn't think it was like that i was just under the impression they self-released a bunch of eps self-released an album and then this is their second album on on a but this label. one just happens to be on a label that that was the impression i got but i haven't looked into it enough to really know yeah well they're calling this their debut album are they oh okay i believe all right i think okay um but anyway uh yeah it's a it's well it's their album it's their latest album (laughs) it's their latest latest release it's their Um, 2020 album (laughs) yeah it's called every bad um like i say they're a brighton based indie band um uh i just sort of again it was something i was doing a little bit of digging i just sort of found this uh and i've seen it been getting some really good reviews so i thought i'd give it a listen and i not only did i like it i thought this seems like the sort of thing that renfrey would like a lot mm. am i correct renfrey yes i love this <laughs> it's fucking great um it was really interesting putting it on uh i was like oh hello um immediately there's just a i think the reason you thought i'd like it is just immediately there's shit loads of personality that just yeah shines through just immediately you're like okay this band has an identity this band is something a little bit different um sort of in a i mean a band i've been wanged on about is wild cat strike i think wild cat strike have their own almost indefinable thing going on i think porridge radio are quite similar um both from brighton funnily enough um and i started reading up about it and uh i think again it was the guardian review which mentioned, I mean, it spends the first sort of paragraph talking about how frontwoman Dana Margolin um, seems very, very sure of herself. There was an NME interview uh, and just a few quotes from it. She said, I've always known that we're the best band in the world. Obviously, we're really good and we know it. Where have you been? And uh, in terms of their aspirations, I want to be Coldplay, obviously. Now, it's not clear whether um, these are uh, sarcastic comments or whether she genuinely thinks that, but um, I did. I did think. I did think. Whoa, confident. Certainly confident. Sounds like the sort of thing Liam Gallagher would say, apart from the Coldplay. Absolutely. Bit. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But then listen to it. I'm like, well maybe she has reason to be because this is a very kind of i mean despite the band themselves have one of the dullest most alan bennett names i've ever heard from a band porridge radio (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. I was just having me porridge radio. Um, this is really invigorating, exciting indie stuff mm. uh, in a sort of, I don't think it is similar to car seat headrest, but just in, just in terms of it, it's like, oh, this is exciting. This sounds a little bit different. Um, it's nice to hear some indie that isn't afraid to lift its eyes off the floor and express some emotion. <laughs> yes, mate. I mean, because I, I wrote down, my first thing that I wrote down for this was like, this feels like PJ Harvey and Sebado covering Daniel Johnston. Very nice. Yeah, right? very nice. And because yeah. it's got some really cool lo-fi i mean the third track don't ask me twice starts with it's got cowbell on it mm. it's got this lo-fi proper kind of weird staccato angular cowbell rhythm to it and then just goes into this massive dream pop chorus and then mm. it goes back again and yes you know we've all heard quiet quiet loud quiet quiet loud pixies nirvana whatever dynamic done it's the way it's done though, isn't it? Infinitum forever, yeah. yeah um, but if you are gonna, if you are gonna do that, obviously you do it, and everyone wants to do it because it works. But if you are gonna do that, try and chuck in a little bit more than just what's already been done, would you? Well, even try it, and make it a little bit different, and they do. They, that's exactly what they do. They're taking the old ideas, but they're making them sound fresh, and quite often that's as good as coming up with a new idea, <laughs> you know? Um, I think, um, I can't remember the name of it, but the second track uses that loud, quiet, loud dynamic really, really well. Almost, sweet. Yeah, sweet. It just, it comes in quietly and then goes loud at a point where you just do not expect it to go loud. And it works, you know? And it, you can dismiss it as like, oh, it's just loud, quiet, loud dynamics. But that's forgetting anything to do with nuance or how you put these things together or, you know... I mean, it's just a pathetic, dismissive attitude. It's boring. Um, I uh, f From that Guardian review, I thought this would just fill in a little bit of behind-the-scenes bits and pieces. So Porridge Radio are a product of Brighton's fertile but subterranean DIY scene, a world of cassette split, uh, cassette split EPs with American noise bands, debut albums recorded in garden sheds, lo-fi covers of Daniel Johnson songs, and free all-day festivals in tiny venues alongside bands called Satanic Ritual Abuse. Whatever you make of all of this, you certainly couldn't accuse the people involved of being fueled by vaulting commercial ambition. And that's hmm. the really interesting thing about it. This appears to be doing pretty well, um, this Porridge Radio record. Yeah, um, it it's seems, been very well reviewed. Yeah, it's been very well reviewed. It appears to be getting some sort of traction. And what I really fucking love about it is it hasn't, uh, it, it, it's still extraordinarily experimental. It doesn't feel like it's cut off any of its corners to get successful airplay. It doesn't feel like they've changed any part of themselves in order to get, you know, I, I don't know if this band are on the radio regularly or anything like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if they are given the notices that they have been given. Mm. And it feels like it comes from a very, very genuine place. And it doesn't feel like anything's been sanded down in order for them to get there. Um, I'm particularly, I have to admit, I mean, whether she is genuinely uh, <laughs> arrogant or, or whether she's being eye-rolly and sarcastic, the manner that uh, Margolin will repeat a phrase over and over again and most of the, almost all of the reviews have picked up on this and it is one of the best things about this record and one of the best things about this band 
the manner that she repeats the phrase over and over again, but then that phrase takes on different meanings with almost every single pronounce pronunciation of it. Um, whether it's, I don't know what you're going through, but it's wasting my time on long, the chorus to that. It feels like every single time she repeats a phrase like that, it has a different meaning and you that there's a at the end of born confused um she repeats uh, thank you for making me happy over and over again and it has completely different meaning and connotations every single time it's repeated and it starts being almost sarcastic and then as it goes on it kind of becomes a bit more real and then by the, uh, and by the end of it it's really joy joyous and evanescent and it's kind of I think someone sitting down and listening to this record and not really paying attention would just go, oh, it just repeats itself over and over again. But someone actually really listening will go that it's not just repeating itself again, over and over again at all. The intention is changing constantly. And that is a incredibly impressive thing to put across uh, on a record this early in your career. It's kind of like when actors act with their face and nothing else. When you see a, um, not a Margaret Thatcher, who played Margaret Thatcher? Meryl Streep. Thank you. When you see a Meryl Streep do a scene where, I don't know, she's on the phone and she's just listening to a conversation. There's absolutely no dialogue whatsoever, but you can tell absolutely what that conversation is and the words that she is hearing because it is all on her face. Like Meryl Streep is just really good at doing that kind of thing. That is proper acting. That, you know, you know, but that, that is, that is, that is, when you see stuff like that, that is actual that's fucking acting you know being able to convey that stuff without saying anything but you can just see it on someone's face um annoyingly i can't think of a specific example but meryl streep does it really well and she does it often i can that scene in the godfather with al pacino where he goes he's going to shoot the guy very good going to the toilet and he sits there not really saying anything for about 10 minutes yes and you can see all the kind of worry and thoughts and like all the you know the anger and all that is really good that's a brilliant that's a brilliant example she she's got from listening to his record, this is something which I don't normally, it's sort of a weird, it feels like a weird, unquantifiable thing. So I very, very seldom say it. She's got a sort of star quality about her. Mm. She feels like an important voice. Mm. I think, do you know what I mean? You know, some people you just listen to and you just go, I don't know, like the f- probably the first time you heard Smells Like Teen Spirit, you just thought, this is not only a good song, but it just feels like I, I need to know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. And whereas the more this record goes on, the more I'm fascinated by her and her story and what's going on. And, you know, and I want to hear more and more from it. I mean, it actually starts quite, I mean, what I think what I like about this record, is it starts quite jaunty yeah, and quite indie and it actually gets progressively more morbid and dour. And I really like that. Mm. Um, there's a song straight after that don't ask me called long and it's proper gothy like as his nephews as well and they kind of they go for that they they sound like the cure in places you know like they're and they're that good at it as well like it's it's really good there's a song called pop song towards the end Mm. which is really slow and um and really bleak and well i said towards the end it's like in the middle i should say um but it's kind of absolutely everything that you would expect the opposite of a song called pop song yes, to sound like. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's um, really dour, <laughs> really depressing. Yeah. Um, just popping back to Long quickly. I mean, I've already mentioned it and you mentioned it there as well. But I mean, Long is the is the song where she laments quite angrily. I don't know what you're going through, but it's wasting my time yeah. in the chorus. And yeah. But then the song resolves quite resolutely when she realizes I'm I'm waiting for my life to begin kind of thing there's a it brings a beautiful poignancy to that moment where you realize that a relationship isn't going anywhere um and that sort of feeling like it's very easy to be like you dumped me you bitch fuck you or i dumped her and i feel really bad or vice versa or whatever um but creating a nuance which is uh as beautifully poignant as capturing a moment where you realize a relationship is not going to work. There's, there's much more craft in that. And there's far fewer people who can capture something like that rather than, you know, they usually capture a far more simplistic version of that. Um, and I think, I think it's exactly that kind of nuance, which makes her and make this band such an exciting, interesting proposition. I mean, Spoiler alert, this is my favourite album of the week that you've brought Thought in. Thought it might be. Um, it's probably not a massive surprise. Although having said that, you know, this isn't like, I don't, I don't listen to shit tons of indie, you know, so it's not kind of like, oh, this is going to, this is going to be your album of the week. Although I suppose when you hear it, it's kind of like, there's a lot of stuff in it that I really, really like. Um, mm. Pitchfork described Margolin as a cross between PJ Harvey, you've already said it, and Karen O. And yeah, yeah, that's that's not bad at all. Um, but if you're evoking PJ Harvey and Karen O in one person, that's pretty fucking good. Like that's that's and and, and I I agree. I think I think she absolutely sounds like both of those artists uh, and more. I think this is a very exciting, interesting band. Um, mm. And uh, there must be something in the water down in Brighton because we cover loads of fucking brilliant Brighton bands all the time. You know, in technical a lot of good ones, Physics House bands, Polymath. Mm. You know, so many. Um, Black Peaks. Black Peaks. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah obviously would be a big one. <laughs> um, anyway, there you go. Uh, it's called Every Bad. It's by Porridge Radio. It's out now. And again, like for me, it's kind of four for. I mean, obviously, I picked them all, so <laughs> I would say it's four for four. But four for four for me, definitely. Yeah, I really like this record a lot. I don't think um, I don't think you get to do a. I don't think if you pick them, I don't think you get to do that. Yeah, oh, that's true. What that's a surprise! True. They're all brilliant. I love them all. Yeah, it's yeah. like well, you picked them. Uh, like. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I might have picked them to be an horrible cunt, but like, I haven't. Um, so the last album we're going to talk about this week comes from Baron Womb. Uh, this has been out a few weeks now as well. It's called uh, Lizard Lounge. It's the fourth album from the Norwegian punk and roll duo. Uh, we've spoken about Cavell Attack, about Danger Face, about Blood Command, about Bokassa, about many other bands from that um, kind of post-Turbo Negro scene. Um, and we've got some more here, Renfrey. Uh, <laughs> this, though, slight difference with, with this band is they are a two-piece they're a duo some people might think that's only a subtle difference but i think it makes a massive difference we talked about duos in the past um usually along the lines of like Hag haggard cat or john or um fucking hell who have we talked about 68 lightning bolt lightning bolt death from above uh death from above absolutely and there's something about the duo that you can't get with anyone else i think it's when you have just a drummer and a guitarist slash bassist slash whatever they're playing um in sync with one another there's just something very special and something very raw 
ragged and stripped back about that thing that dynamic which you cannot get you add one more person and you fucked it you fucked that dynamic um it's difficult to describe but i think people who've seen a number of two pieces will understand what i'm talking about uh baron womb absolutely have that connection it's almost like a psychic connection between between the two of them um and it's um cavell attack is a great shout i mean i kind of said think this is cavell attack meets haggard cat isn't it it's kind of the black yeah. black and roll of cavell attack mixed with the punkier kind of um the 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 the, just yeah just what i just said really just 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 the manner in which you um play off of one another a manner Mm. that that the two piece play off of one another it's a very rough it's a rough ready it's a rough ready album uh but all the better for it it's got some brilliant titles uh crop circle jerk crop circle jerk Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is not just a brilliant title by the way it is a wicked song of kind of melvin style slow burning weird sludge noodling yeah um there's some massive riffs on this yes um yes uh i mean hypodronic youth sounds like a really good in two people doing a really good impression of queens of stone age mm. um i did mention death from above and there's plenty of that kind of death from above stuff on it as well i think what's interesting about this is when i first heard this i heard the singles from this record before it was released and that kind of scandy punk thing and that duo thing that we've been talking about um what's interesting with this is it's kind of the disco indie beat of bands like the strokes and the killers uh appears quite heavily mm-hmm. on this record and particularly on the singles and at first i was like because i heard people going oh man if you like the bronx and if you like every time i die and if you like stuff like that which i think is a little bit off to be perfectly honest i think you really want to think about those norwegian bands and i think some of those duos that we mentioned before but i, I there's certainly I, an, I, enough I, of the garage rock that it's there yeah but i, I I see every time I die and and all that, but but I think Cavell Attack and and the Garage Rock stuff is is closer, definitely. Yeah, me too. Um, but some of the songs on it that were released as singles, I was like, hmm. I mean, they're proper. It's got that when we were talking about the Strokes the other week and how they kind of brought back that beat, that kind of disco beat, and brought it to kind of indie music, and then how everybody started doing. I mean, we actually were talking about Block Party. If you listen to our um our Patreon chat about Block Party and we were saying like even Block Party on their first album had a go at doing that and just did it better than everyone else. Yeah. Um, but everybody was doing that beat and, and they've got a bit of that in the singles initially and I was like, hmm, I think comparing that to the Bronx feels like way off the mark. But once you hear the album in its entirety, it's funny how those comparisons... You do go, ah, yes, I see it now. And I think it makes it for a much more interesting album overall. I mean, particularly just songs like Karma as a Tour Manager, Hairy Palms, <laughs> Molten Molten Pig, You Do the Meth, um, and uh, Be Kind, Have Fun, and Try Not to Die. Be Kind, Have Fun, and Try Not to Die is one of, for me, one of the most obviously, quote-unquote, indie-sounding songs on the record. But there's plenty of actual heavy shit on this record big riffs melvin's queens of stone age sludge you know to to, i think to evoke melvin's 
the Killers and the Bronx in the same record. Yeah, it says it's a wicked. lot, doesn't it? Yeah, and and Death or Above as well. Like, what a what a wicked little mix of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, interestingly, Be Kind, Have Fun, and Try Not to Die uh, is my favorite song on the record. I think it's fucking killer. It's great, um, yeah. And I love the fact that at that point, it's like the third song from the end. I think I love yeah. the fact it was beginning to get a little a little samey for me at that point in the record we're probably sort of 27 minutes in into the 35 minute record and i was like it really needs to change up a bit soon i'm liking this but it really needs to change up a bit soon and then it did and and not only did it change up but it it turned into my favorite song on the on the record i really fucking love that song i think it's got a massive chorus it it reminds me of the gentler 68 moments which um i love 68 when they're balls out but when they're when they actually take it back a bit like track seven on the first um on the first album is just fucking yeah. beautiful uh i do i think this record's brilliant i really 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 like it i do think it starts a bit weak i'm being a bit anal here because i'm really only talking about the first it doesn't really get going for me until Harry Palms, which is the third track. I agree. I agree that those first two are... I mean, I actually think Karma as a Tour Manager is a pretty good song. I, I did... I don't mind Karma as a Tour Manager, but but it really gets going for me with Harry Palms. When I first got this, because I'd heard the singles, um, and I thought in isolation... In, I've got to be honest, in isolation, the singles didn't do a lot for me. Mm. And then when Cemetery Slope Style... Mm. the first track came in i was like uh, i'm not sure i'm going to be that keen on this record it's interesting isn't it because cemetery slope style is a really fast furious 90 second opener it's really frenetic it's debatably the heaviest song on the record and yet it's the most boring by a country yeah, mile is, by yeah, a country yeah. mile it's the most boring song on the record and yet it's the fastest it's the heaviest it's the you know and it is it just goes to show that i mean bands think it all the time but they kind of think oh if we're not doing anything this is not going to be interesting to people and i think it just goes to show that that's fucking nonsense this is this is just proof that that is nonsense yeah i mean i think again to, to go back like i heard that and i was like yeah you know fine yeah. i mean it's a 90 second rager opener it's pretty good i guess but it's not really making me think that i'm gonna pay, pay that album much that much attention when i've got the singles that i've heard that i think are kind of all right and then hairy palms within the context of the record takes on a whole new life yes and then you go into crop circle jerk which is brilliant brilliant smokes let's go brilliant molten pigs brilliant yes you've mentioned be kind and, and have fun and and that again in isolation i was like ah it's a bit it's not that great you know okay. it's a bit kind of weak and so, but within the context of the album works so much better and after a couple of weeks like if we'd have been reviewing this when i first heard it i reckon i would have been like because i nearly we nearly didn't do this we nearly actually did a cult of karate just mm. for a bit of behind the scenes insight but at the last minute i went no no no. let's do um barren womb because it's just really grown on me over the last few weeks i believe um, i said that but that's fine <laughs> I believe did I, you i was the one who said i think because you were gonna swap it out for something else i can't yeah. remember now but i i said i think we should do barren womb yeah but anyway yeah you did 
but you know it's my week in it i picked them <laughs> so ultimately i get the choice <laughs> Uh, anyway um, there you go it's good I mean like I say if you like the sound of any of those things I think you'll like this Yeah. I think if you're a fan of that kind of the hives and stuff you'll like it I think if you're a fan of uh, the Bronx and every time I die and that sort of thing you'll like it I think if you're a fan of death or above and I was about to say lightning bolt maybe not lightning maybe lightning bolt was a little bit too far but certainly like the Melvins like Melvins at their most calmest Melvin's death um, from above, Cavell attack, and Haggard cat. 68. I think is, is a re- sixty-eight is a really, yeah. really, really good shout. And yeah, like the first couple of songs, I, honestly, the first time round, I was I was a bit confused as to why you sent it to me because it just sounded like a very average version of that stuff. But then, yeah, it really kicks up a gear. Um, it's mm. it's it's interesting. I'd almost suggest you buy this from Bandcamp and then just delete the first two songs um i mean i don't know if i'd go that far but um the one thing we haven't mentioned which i think is well worth mentioning is the lyrics on this record are fucking wicked uh, <laughs> yeah there's some really funny shit on here watch out it's the eighth wonder brought to you by a snake charmer you know just just that really fucking cool like they're just fucking cool it's just they're cool there's something about in one of the i can't remember what song it is now when you're talking about eating shit on the highway or something mm. and i was like well oh, this sounds horrible but i can't remember what the exact lyric is and i haven't got it in front of me and we're gonna move on we've said it's good it's good baron womb lizard lounge is the album and that is the final record from my five um five for five for me renfrey big time <laughs> what a surprise <laughs> uh, but but no to be fair that's a pretty strong um an it's a, group it's, of it's a, I said it at the beginning of the show, Steve. I don't know. <laughs> do you want me to go on about it all? <laughs> yes, I do. I want you to pat me on the back again. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, there you go. Just something for everyone, isn't it? That's what I thought. Just give a little bit of something for everyone. And um, 2020's turned out to be quite a strong year. Quite a good year for music, anyway. You know what? I mean, not for anything else. No, no, but... no, no, no. Um, I, I think 2020 is a classic year. I think it's there already we're not even halfway through it's fucking ridiculous Mm. it's interesting like doing all this classic album stuff i mean 1996 is a year that's come up again and again and again and again and i'm just getting to the point now where i'm like yeah i think we're living it i think we're living a the fact that we're halfway through the year if i was doing my albums of the year now i'd have some serious struggles like Mm. serious struggles i'm not looking forward to october november when i actually have to do it and it's gonna be a brutal fight to get in that top 20 yeah i know i know there's stuff on the horizon there's definitely out stuff out in july which is bring me the horizon (laughs) oh they're not releasing another one are they no i just (laughs) just because you said on the horizon (laughs) that was a little like nod nod yeah (laughs) Renfrey's number one that bring me the horizon ep um no no uh no there's some i mean i can tell you now there's some fucking great records coming out in july like like mm. there's at least two that i can think of which i'd be stunned if they weren't in my top 20 so yeah all right we always search with every week at the end of the show by trying to find the worst record ever made so far we'll just run down the list why from not best to worst bob dylan self-portrait lou Reed's metal machine music lauren hill mtv 
2.0 unplugged bushes black and white rainbows streets in the sky by the enemy one by dirty vegas viva brothers famous first words louis the 14th slick dogs and ponies queen and paul rogers the cosmos rocks richard ashcroft's united nations of sound i still laugh just at the very idea of that eogan quig seemed to be on tour with leached uh, and his self-titled <laughs> um uh, debut album Six Feet Unders, Graveyard Classics, Volume 2, at number two. And at number one still, and probably will remain there for some time, I predict. Mm. Towers of London's Blood, Sweat and Towers. But what is going to be joining it in the list this week, you asked, dear listener? Well, I'll tell you. It is going to be the self-titled album from Liz Fair, the fourth studio album from the American singer-songwriter, which was released on the 24th of June, 2003. Um, quite ironically, Matt Stocks brought up Liz Fair last week when we were um, doing the show with him. When we were... much of a classic that her first album was. Yes, reviewing Katie Malko, he brought up Liz Fair as mm-hmm. a comparison point. Uh, he brought up her debut album, Exile, Exile in Guyville, is it? Excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which came out in 1993. Uh, we both listened to that as well, didn't we? Giving ourselves we did, extra yeah. homework. It, um, yeah. And I'm very, very pleased that I listened to that as well because it gives everything, it gives uh, the fourth record far more context as to why it was yeah, received I, I, in the manner that it was received. I think, I think so. And we just needed to get that out of the way because I feel like Liz Fair is an artist um, that very much like the kind of the Sarah McLaughlin school of artists from the US that kind of played Lilith Fair in the 90s that never really got a lot of attention over here I mean obviously someone like Cheryl Crow um, or Alanis Morissette obviously would have done but there are a whole bunch of people who were massive in the US Um, in fact my girlfriend who's just Around the corner there. Uh, went to Lilith Fair back in the day. She was talking oh, about yeah. it and said how great it was. She told me you played and I probably couldn't name you a single. Michelle Branch, people like that, I couldn't name a single song for right. any of those people. That sort of thing. Another one of those things which is very much a kind of a, an American thing. I think it didn't really translate in the main to the UK. She was definitely an artist who I had heard of but had never yeah. heard before. I mean listening to Exile and Guyville, you know, that came that record came out 2 years before Jagged Little Pill. And and you know, I mean, I'd be very surprised if Alanis Morissette wasn't listening to Liz Fair. You know, mm. there, there's a, there's there are definitely I don't I personally don't think Exile and Guyville is as good as um Jagged Little Pill, but what is but what it well sincerely they're they're it's a fucking great record um uh you know um it's interesting what what did you think of exile and guyville before we get into uh this fourth record i quite liked it Mm. i mean i think we'll talk more about it but i i i you know i quite liked it um and i listened to it first before i listened to the album that we're going to be covering today and i thought like one or two listens to a record, which is what I gave it basically. Yeah, one yeah, or two yeah. kind of cursory listens is probably not going to really give you enough to be going on. Like, I wouldn't feel comfortable reviewing it, but I did think, oh, yeah, this is quite good. Yeah. It's very confessional, obviously. I mean, she kind of came to the attention of the media after a series of very confessional, like those kind of confessional, lo fi, quite frank indie rock records um that were released on matador in the early 90s so the first couple i think in particular Mm -hmm. people were like seriously excited about um 
her second album, Whip Smart, in 1994, got her on the front cover of Rolling Stone with the headline, A Star Is Born, alongside it. So certainly in America, she was becoming a big deal. And by making a type of music, which I think very definitely would would be the sort of thing that I think if um, Exile in Guyville came out today, I think we'd cover it and I think we'd be pretty positive about it. Yeah, relatively. Um, I, I think it's... Um... I think when it's good, I think it's very, very good. Uh, I'm not reviewing it here because like you, I've only listened to it a couple of times. Um, broadly, too fucking long. It's 18 songs. Yeah, it's really Ooh. long. Um, and, same as this one we're about to talk about as well. They're long, long records. Uh, yes. Um, I mean, Exit in, oh, no. Exile in Guyville is um, 55 odd minutes, whereas this one's 50 minutes and 14 seconds. Um, I kind of felt, interestingly... Um, that her more experimental material wasn't actually as successful as her straight lace down the line poppier material on Exile and Guyville, which is... Cool. Do you work for a record label by any chance? <laughs> Were you working for a record label in 2003? Well, which is which is an interesting, just an interesting point to make because that's definitely going to come up later, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, you know, Exile and Guyville was definitely critically acclaimed it's been ranked by rolling stone as one of the 500 greatest albums of all time i'm not sure i strictly agree but it is very very good and i think the other thing that we should probably point out is um she had an approach to sex that was very uncommon coming from a woman in the early 90s so Mm. i think when when we look back historically one thing i do have to say for liz fair is she probably helped to open the floodgates for artists like Alanis Morissette and so on and so forth. In, I think for a long time, it just, I think, and I think it does go back to this. It just wasn't very considered very ladylike to discuss your feelings when it comes to that subject as openly as Liz Fair does um, Mm. on Exile and Guyville and, I mean, certainly on Liz Fair, we'll get into that. Um, but, you know, and I think a lot of kudos needs to be thrown <laughs> thrown at her. That doesn't make it sound very nice. And a lot of needs, uh, kudos, she, she, kudos to her because she was likely, I'm not an expert in this kind of thing, but she was likely one of the first female artists to talk about sex in that way on her material, I think. Mm. Can you think of other examples or... Uh, not really, but I tell you what, I'm going to pause that there, Whoa. and the case for the prosecu- prosecution mm. will um Commence. will be coming along later. Oh, okay. Um, but on a th- so basically where we are is like yes, you're right. I think that kind of open, honest, frank, confessional, quite brutal in some like you know brutally honest, like really unscathing, un you know th- there didn't appear to be any kind of filter. For what she mm. was saying which makes it quite ironic brave. that on a on her third album which is 1998's white chocolate headspace she was asked by a label which was still matador but alongside uh, the major label capital to write some more radio friendly singles after initially um uh the ba- the, the the label kind of went can you go back and write a couple of i don't know what how I, that sentence ended up being so weird but um but basically she kind of refused the suggestion that some more radio-friendly singles needed to be written for her album. Um, and then we get a five-year gap 
In that five-year period, she signed to Capital fully. So she is now away from Matador, which is obviously a smaller label. She goes away to record a record, um, uses all of the budget to make said record, hands it in, and the label, this time Capital, rejects it completely and says they're not going to put it out unless uh, she goes to work on it some more. She says, I will go away and I will do some more stuff. And the label says, you're out of money, mate. Um, That's exactly how they said it. Probably how they (laughs) said it, yeah. Uh, And said the only way they're going to get more of an advance on making this record and to give her more money to rate this record is, is on the condition that she works with the production team, The Matrix. Now, The Matrix, Renfri, I'm sure you're familiar with the work of The Matrix, even if you aren't familiar with The Matrix themselves. Oh, well, They're a three-person production production team who've worked with the likes of Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Avril Lavigne, Busted, Shakira, and weirdly, Korn, hmm. um, on the second self-titled Korn album. Bitch, we got a problem! And all that one. Um, <laughs> Which? Not great. Uh, well, I don't like Bitch, we got a problem. I think that album overall is much maligned, although... I think the first few songs are all right and the rest of it's pretty shit. All right, fine. I, I, I think it's... Personally. Fair, you know, at that time, Korn were not changing massively and I like the fact that they made a massive fucking change with that record. It was it was the yeah. most significant Korn change Korn had ever made at that point in their definitely career. Definitely was. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I um, that. It was better yeah. than Take a Look in the Fucking Mirror, which was a joke of a record. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. way better um, than Take a Look in the Mirror. Yeah, um but anyway so the album comes out after rewrites and re-recordings and the critical reaction to the record was frankly pretty fucking vicious by some Mm. people uh one star in the guardian once renowned for barbed commentaries on the women in rock theme her new songs are more like audio pornography splattered messily with her thoughts on shagging lust and underwear in case you hadn't noticed the terrifying decline in her songwriting the sleeve depicts fair semi-naked with a guitar between her legs and in the booklet she pouts and poses like a superannuated lolita not a pretty sight or sound the la times gave it one star said it's not even stretching the point to suggest that some fair fans will genuinely think the pressing plant put the wrong album in the fair package <laughs> when they hear some of the airheaded pop on the disc the new york times uh, said she committed an embarrassing form of career suicide and then we come to matt lemay's infamous pitchfork review a 0.0 review Pitchfork obviously do, you know, 8.4 or whatever. Mm. 0.0, nothing, zero, nud, absolutely has no artistic merit whatsoever. Um, Seems a little bit harsh, that really, doesn't it? Um, But this uh, came from that review. In recent interviews, Fair has been upfront about her hopes of mainstream success and claims full awareness that Liz Fair is likely to alienate many of her original fans. What she doesn't seem to realise is that a collection of utterly generic rocked out pop songs isn't likely to win her many new ones. It's sad that an artist as groundbreaking as Fair would be reduced to cheap publicity stunts and hyper-commercialised teen pop. But then, this is the album she has always wanted to make in brackets uh one in which all of her quirks and limitations are absorbed into well-tested cliches and ultimately one that may as well not even exist now that is a truly scathing review and if you read the review in its entirety it is a, a review that takes that record completely to pieces um and really 
what it does for me is it reads as a kind of gatekeeper-esque mentality from a former fan who cannot believe that the artist that he fell in love with has decided to go so far in a totally different direction to the direction that he wants them to go in. Right? Yeah, agreed. Now, we've all sort of felt that a little bit, but... Um, it's Actually, sorry, just, just to add, it's Pitchfork at its worst. And it's what Pitchfork, yeah. it's what Pitchfork has a reputation for. Um sometimes rightly sometimes wrongly but it's it's what pitchfork it's the reason why it's a fucking i mean so sometimes there's brilliant stuff that comes from pitchfork but certainly when they started out there was an awful lot of just like oh we're better than everyone else we're better than the artists everyone's pathetic apart from us sneery kind mm. of bullshit and that's some people think that's good criticism it's not it's fucking mm. lame um to kind of uh go on to that point there's a piece on slate that tried to contact everybody who had got a 0.0 review on pitchfork and liz fair actually blanked the request the person who made the article um never heard from them uh thurston moore is actually interviewed in that piece very interesting um we don't know what she thinks about that review but one of the people that were interviewed in that piece is travis morrison from the band black kids who are a band that i'm not familiar with but they got slated in pitchfork um he was interviewed for the piece and had something quite interesting to say about that record uh he kind of refused to be interviewed about his own record but he said by the way i didn't know liz fair got a 0.0 this is in a an email exchange with the writer uh, he said, by the way, I did not know that Liz Fair got a 0.0. I see it was for her pop record. I don't want to do any interviews, but I do want to say something about that because I so deeply love her art. I think that record was not her most completely executed, but I do think it was her most visionary gesture. I always admired her for it. Now, hipsters listen to Kylie Rae Jepsen and, no, Jepsen and no one thinks about it. But Liz Fair was pretty ahead of that curve and she really got some nasty shit about it. Mostly, of course, from white male critics what a bunch of fucking garbage um before we go on uh we should say that before we get into the album ourselves longtime friend of the podcast robert christicu oh yes uh <laughs> was one of the few people who did review this album surprisingly pretty positively um, pretty positively he basically positively. he says it's the second coming of christ practically <laughs> <laughs> so he says Liz Fair may not be her best album but don't bet on it for sure it's the one I want to hear right now next month I want to hear right now next month and all year um his review is terrible oh, it's, it's terrible uh, I tried to pick it apart but it is the dribbling nonsense of someone who thinks he's far more intelligent and important than he actually is as but then as per but then even more bizarrely i mean you're gonna have to go and find it yourself because trying to pick quotes out of it to sort of make you understand just how bad this review was uh, you can't um but even more bizarrely he had a little dig mm. at the just the idea of pitchfork critics a few years later mm. saying back then Pitchfork was still a snotty boys club open to many quote unquote critics. Too many amateur wise asses and self-appointed astets throwing their weight around. But to return to Liz Fair, it got killed in the indie press for two things. The indie sin of hiring name producers, which my review goes into some detail. I, I mean, it, it actually doesn't. I mean, <laughs> by the way, it doesn't. It doesn't go into any detail. He guesses what songs. He doesn't even know what songs The Matrix oh, produces. Oh, really? But he guesses... <laughs> Does it get it you know, right? I reckon it's them. I re oh, I haven't bothered trying to work it out. Um, my review, which goes into some detail, an explicit sexuality. 
Good sex songs are hard to write, but I love them when they happen. Favourite and HWC stand out. They fucking seriously do. (laughs) But the stone classic here is Little Digger, in which her young son comes into the bedroom she's sharing with a guy that's not his dad. A complete killer, clearly over Lee May's head. Now, I have already expressed some reservations regarding that particular Pitchfork review. But the idea (laughs) that Robert Christigou doesn't write every single review he ever writes just to deliberately misguide people. Him telling people they're missing the point. This is like some mad gatekeeper pylon. So I really do feel for Liz Fair. I feel for Robert Christopher. I He has no fucking idea what he thinks. He's all over the place. Um, I feel really sorry for Liz Fair. Um, here's a bold thing to say. Uh, I think Liz Fair, the album, is more successful as an album than Exile from Guyville. Hmm. Um, undoubtedly she took a, a different direction i don't think the direction she took is anywhere near the seismic change in direction that it actually is purported to be i think uh exile from guyville for the most part is a very good fairly straight ahead pop rock record um liz fair is a very 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 straight ahead pop rock record uh, the difference is the emphasis on exile from uh, guyville is on the rock rather than the pop and on liz fair the emphasis on, is on the pop rather than the rock but actually in the real world the difference is not massive it's kind of like you'll roll your eyes but it's kind of like when people say oh Aya is so much different to Atlas well is it no um but I don't think the change my eyes at both those things actually what you said I mean I think there is quite I think there's quite a big difference from Exile in Guyville which is very very lo-fi indie very quite raw sounding just in terms of production I mean, maybe not in terms of song structures I, I, I think i think i'm specifically talking about songwriting and actually in terms okay, of songwriting enough, yeah. i don't think there's any i think there's barely any difference at all and do you know the mm. other thing i'll say about her i actually think i already mentioned that i think um uh, exile from guyville is too long it really drags towards the end where it becomes very 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 experimental in in well, it just does. Um, and in my opinion, that's where Exile from Guyville really, really drags. Um, on Liz Fair, she doesn't even try to experiment, really. Um, no. But I personally think she's better. I prefer artists when they experiment a bit. But having said that, when it comes to Liz Fair, based on these two records at all, I think she's better at writing the pop rock kind of Kelly Clarkson style thing than she is at being the kind of early Sheryl Crow, Alanis Morissette, introspective singer-songwriter person. I think Hmm. she's better at that. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, for me, like, okay, so now I can understand who someone who was a massive fan of her early work would hear this because it does sound different and it is, you know... Um, I mean, initially, I thought that before hearing Liz Fair, I listened to Exile in Guyville and I thought, well, God, it's, it's very graphic. 
Mm. And I wonder if that's the problem. And that's where the accusations of selling out like shit, but nope, nope. definitely not that. <laughs> um, I mean, I actually quite like the first couple of songs. They're just kind of, you know, female guitar, pop rock, light kind of, you know, like Anastasia or Alanis Morissette. Or yeah. That kind of thing. There's, nothing, right? there's I mean, nothing to really be offended about. No. I mean, in fact, the second with. song, Red Light Fever, sounds so much like Taylor Swift. Yeah. that i really liked i thought this is really good um the big song in it was why can't i why can't i why, why I can't i why, why can't, can't i, I? <laughs> why can't i which is you know fine as well that kind of country twang mixed with i mean it sounds like complicated by avril lavigne a lot and at that point i was just like this is snobs in it i mean i don't really see what the problem is this is just pure pure snobbery um and then, then it's sweet comes along. It's got a kind of banger beat. I thought it's not really very good, this song particularly. But it's nothing offensive. And then it's really when Rock Me comes on where I go, ah, I see. <laughs> this is kind of gross, isn't it? So it's a song about her, an older woman, bedding a college rock kid. Um, now, far be it, for me to take it away from the context of the time or to point out that if a man had written that song, he'd be seen as sort of celebrating statutory rape. Um, but more than that, it's just a really crap song with a re- it's an embarrassing song with a terrible chorus. It sounds like something that a sort of pervert Lindsay Lohan would sing in one of her sort of mid noughties <laughs> teen comedies. Um, now you can say that that's a really great juxtaposition of form and content. You can say it's a kind of anthem of female empowerment. You could say it's just purely fantastical and it doesn't mean anything. But we beat up Louis the Fourteenth for exactly this kind of shit. So Liz Fair, by the same token, really should be held accountable for doing something which is pretty gross, right? Hmm. I think there's a inherent misogyny in the record industry, though, in that because what we discovered with Louis the Fourteenth is they probably didn't get beaten up for it enough. Whereas yeah, Liz, Liz Fair seems to have been ostracised for this record for actually saying things which, in my opinion, may be misguided. But I don't think they are as bad as what Louis the Fourteenth is saying, actually. And actually, I think this is a really interesting, real-world example of sexism in the music industry. Um, that is a fucking brilliant point, Renfrey, and you've absolutely stumped me there because yes. I cannot argue with that in the slightest. Yes, you're quite right. Um, there's a song called HWC, and HWC didn't appear on um there's a clean version of this record and there's an explicit oh, yeah. version of this record. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't be on the clean version <laughs> i have been wanting to talk to you about this song <laughs> all week um it stands for hot white cum yeah are you a fan of hot white cum steve <laughs> <laughs> um in what in what way? I mean, well, I, I mean, do you, do you like the, do you like the substance in sort of sexual play and so on and so forth? 
I've not done it. I mean, <laughs> this song is basically, I think it's a really bad, I mean, this is a zero out of zero. So it's the one time where Pitchfork, I think we're a little bit right. This is just basically a song about going, my skin feels nice when I rub spunk on it, isn't it? More or less. Uh, let's have a look. Um, oh, you know, I love reading out these sexy, sexy lyrics uh, in a very white boy way. Um, I feel sick. Done it. I feel already feel sick. I'm gonna pull you back down between the sheets. Everything is fresher when the day is sweet. In the morning light, when you're already on the phone. Face it. One of these days, without you, I'm just another Dorian Gray. It's the fountain of youth. It's the meaning of life. So hot. So sweet. So wet my appetite. And then a beautiful chorus of "Give me your hot white cum. Give me your hot white cum." Give me your hot white cum. Give me your hot white cum. Very sophisticated, I think. Uh, No, I'm joking. Um, It's, I mean, what is it? It's a fucking, yeah, it's travesty in a way. But what fucks me off is if a man wrote this, no one would bat an eyelid. Or well, actually, I think they would. I don't. I, think no, they I would, don't. No, would at that. No, because it because this song, there's nothing quote unquote rapey about it or anything like that. It no, is it's just not. It's just it's... a song that is going. I really like the ejaculate of men, uh, which is fine. Um, then, and uh, and when when still panther get a lot of even even still panther singing about stuff. There are a lot of people that go like. One, yeah, we know you're joking, but fucking hell, you're gross. There's a lot of, I mean, I'm thinking more mainstream, mainstream stuff where there will be lots and lots of very explicit, explicit sexual innuendo. Well, not even innuendo, just fucking in your because face. that's not innuendo. This is no, it? no, this, this is isn't. Like, innuendo. I want you to jizz on my face. No, no, no. Um, oh. Well, I'm busy at the moment recording a podcast, Steve, but maybe we can get to that later. Uh, <laughs> but but <laughs> he's not happy about that. Um, but, you know, I, I I think, I mean, I annoyingly, I don't have any specifically to mind, but I don't think it would take very long to find many men who oh, have Prince. written. OK, yeah, yeah. Who've written an equivalent um, and... Well, I, I mean, I say get away with it. I don't think there's anything wrong. Like, this is, you know, it's a sexy song. My favourite subgenre. It's a sexy song. And, like, there's nothing... that It's totally... Post-rock sexiness. <laughs> Just someone going, Bona for, like, 12 minutes. You've heard my new solo record, I see. Um, you know, like... I, like, the, there's nothing nasty in the intent of it. There's nothing kind of like... Um, it's not saying uh, I'm going to take take your seed from you, whether you want want it, it taken from you or not, or anything like that. And actually, the equivalent reversed. There's loads of songs. I mean, we've talked about blurred lines before and stuff like that. That did cause a massive controversy. It took fucking yes, ages yes. for that controversy yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, look, we can talk about the controversy it caused, and obviously, you're right. I think in the in the broader sense of the word, people <clears> getting upset with a regarding that song and then not getting upset with Robin Thicke. Yes. It's a bad song. And if a bloke was like going, um, if, if, if anybody wrote a song going, I, you know, I eat clitorises or something as oh, explicitly as that. You, I'm having a clitoris you, you for would, tea in a minute. You would go, mate, 
they you don't need like it's just a crap thing to, it's like mm. i don't know maybe, oh. maybe i'm a prude maybe i'm a prude you m3 no 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 i was a bit let, like oh let me oh. let me be clear i don't think hwc is a great song i think it's throwaway nonsense really but i just i just cannot help but see that utter hypocrisy and I've just glanced over the reviews and there's an awful lot of reviews that are basically saying it, the equivalent of it's disgusting that she would share this kind of sentiment. And it's like, really? Are you fucking Have you paid attention to most male pop stars? Like at some point they do something like this and it just goes completely unnoticed. And I don't believe like musically... I don't think this is quite Kelly Clarkson slash Avril Lavigne levels. Not that I'm a massive fan of either Kelly Clarkson or Avril Lavigne, but I think both of them are clearly relatively good within their field. Since you've been gone by Kelly Clarkson, is a fucking <coughs> bless you. Since, Excuse me. Since you've been gone by Kelly Clarkson, is a fucking rager. Let's let's face it. I think even you'd agree with that. Maybe I don't know. Oh yeah, big yeah. time. Even yeah. me, of course I do. All right, all right. Um. And um, I don't think this is of that quality, but I don't think it's miles behind it either. What, HWC or the albums? Uh, the albums as a whole. Right, yeah. No, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, the song Little Digger that was brought up about her son mm. seeing another dude having sex with her and how he just doesn't really understand what's going on. I think it's a great song, but I do actually think it's a very interesting subject, subject matter. And I think the bluntness yeah. of how she actually addresses it is kind of the strength of that. Um I mean, I, I think like, Robert Christogau calling it a Stone Cold classic is... <laughs> yeah, well, Robert <laughs> Christogau is a bloody idiot. Uh, bring <laughs> me the head of Robert Christogau. Um, <laughs> the guy, I mean, how is he uh, allowed to talk? Um, <laughs> cut off Robert Christogau's hands, sew up his mouth, just throw him... Oh, fuck me. Uh, uh, anyway... Thank you. <laughs> uh, Fire like Firewalker sounds a bit like Blind Melon, and that's good. I mean, it's yeah. not a pop sad out sort of thing. Favorites really good as well. Kind of sounds like e ELO gone sort of naughty's emo. Um, there's a song called My Bionic My Bionic Eyes, which is just another song going. I like shagging. Get over it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and at that point, I was like, yeah, okay, good for you. And like, I got laid again last night. I said thanks for the drinks, and I turned off the lights um fine did she sell out i mean that's ultimately well may, i mean maybe i mean look i don't like the phrase sell out mm. right there's two things as why this album is clearly here isn't there first one did she sell out i think we've both established that yes as as bad as a song like hwc is it's a bad song and i think anyone being that kind of it's not even cheeky or bawdy is the problem with that song. It's just like a bit like sort of, it would be icky if, you know, it those songs icky. to me yeah. are just a bit kind of like, ugh, and it's not even a good song. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, by My Bionic Eyes or um, Little Digger, I actually think that's kind of fine. The one where she goes to the guy's um, house and sleeps with him, uh, you know the the, the college kid mm -hmm. sleeping with him again. You know that's fine, I suppose. Again, it's not a great song, um, which probably doesn't help. But yeah, I'm more than happy to go. Yes, she really has been 
the victim of kind of unfair, as I said at the top, slut shaming from the media. Did she sell out? That is a different conversation. Now, I mean, maybe. I don't really like the the phrase, but she was kind of pushed into doing something that she clearly didn't really want to do because she'd made an album and it got rejected. And she kind of obviously did compromise her artistic integrity with often quite poor results. So I don't think this is a bad record. I it's actually, not a terrible record at all. I think the four songs that have the Matrix co-write are some of the strongest on there, actually. So I don't think it was a bad mm. move to do that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't think she sold out at all. Um, I don't think there's... I don't think you can write a song. I don't think you can write a song called Hot White Cum and be accused of selling out, really. Like, you're not writing Hot White Cum to get on the radio, are you? Uh, you're not writing... No, um, no, no. The, I mean, the, the lyrics are still extraordinarily um uh blunt frank. and frank yeah, yeah 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 and you can't you can, i don't think you can accuse someone of um of selling out when they're still being that blunt and that frank and so on and so forth and as i said to you earlier musically i don't think this is a million miles away from xl from guyville as well and when you consider that a there's 10 years be- between them and b that's the jump from her first to fourth record. It's not as if she released XL from Guyville and then released this a few years later. There was yeah. 10 years. It's nearly a decade. Yeah. It is a decade. There's a oh, decade. It is a decade. It it is a decade. A decade yeah. There's 10 years between that time. Um, three records in total, if you include XL or Liz Fair. You know, it actually seems like, to me, it seems like a pretty natural progression. I'm I'm mm. I'm pretty stunned at the whole thing and and to be on like I I don't like this record and I'm not really going to return to it um that super super poppy rock stuff I I mentioned Avril Lavigne and Kelly Clarkson both artists who I think are really good at what they do but I don't listen to them because it doesn't feel like it's music for me and this doesn't feel like music it's music for me either and I don't think this is of the quality of the best Kelly Clarkson and the best Avril Lavigne I still think it's fine i think it's perfectly fine and and i don't think mm. there's anything particularly wrong with it at all and actually yeah as i say i put, put my sights at the um industry for being misogynist fuckwits more than anything else yeah i mean the reaction is pure media hysteria and it's yeah. not a bad record this is certainly not a terrible record at all so i'm actually pretty cool with this whilst pointing out that there are a few things that i was like just seems that seemed a bit try hard if you like but then that seems to i'd probably say the same thing about there's one of the songs on exile and guyville when she's talking about like look at my cunt or something <laughs> i was just like i was like oh the, okay. the, the, she she does there are definitely there are phrases i mean I, I don't think she says look at my cunt um but there are phrases there's something when she said something about her cunt which i was like just made me go eh? yeah there are but, phrases on exile exile from guyville that really stand out and you go whoa and it's sh- shocking and short and sharp and even now it sounds quite shocking i think at the time as i said i don't think there were many women who were being that frank about sex in their um lyrics in uh because i think they weren't I, I don't think I don't think men who predominantly control the industry would have given them the platform to do it. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't. I, this record is nowhere near broken to me. I mean, you know, Hot White Cum is not something that I would put on a record, um, and I probably would have recommended it. It wasn't on there. Uh, it's a bit too long, yada yada yada. But like, we've reviewed 
we've reviewed far worse records than this. Way worse. Yeah. So where does it go in the list? Well, uh, I prefer self-portrait. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Metal Machine music, as we have argued before, did what it set out to do. I'm not sure. I, I think what this album set out to do was sell her, sell lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of copies. And it didn't really. It sold about half a million, I think. Which isn't yeah. anything to be snubbed at, but I'm guessing they wanted to sell far more than that. Um, I'm tempted, and you may disagree, but I'm tempted to put it between Lauren Hill and Lou Reed. Because I think, I I I I think it's more the Lauren Lauren Hill record. There's some good stuff on it, but I th- I think this is far more accomplished than Lauren Hill in what it's setting out to do. If that makes sense, I don't. I mean, actually, the the music on that Lauren Hill, the MTV Unplugged one, obviously that I'm talking about, is is incredibly mm-hmm. simple and ridiculously stripped yep. back, and just goes on and on and <laughs> on. At least these songs, the the record's a bit long. It's 50 minutes and it's 14 songs, but the songs are all kind of four minutes long, kind of thing. Um, but that's. You there's know, certainly the, more there's certainly more good songs on this than there is on Lauren Hill MTV Unplugged. Definitely. But what Lauren Hill MTV Unplugged have has is Mystery of Iniquity, which I still believe is the single best song of any on any of the records that we have reviewed in this section so far. So does one absolutely Yeah, but this incredible is This has got hot white cum, mate. Yeah, exactly. Um, does one absolutely incredible song overthrow um, a series of pretty good songs? In my opinion, no. I don't think it is enough. I think you're probably right, actually. Mm. Yeah, just about right, I reckon. Yeah. I mean, that was the only thing is it's that, you know, we're not reviewing it. If it was come came down to, you know, who did the best song, then obviously... Lauren Hill. Fuck it's it. yeah, it's Lauren no Hill. But I think, but I think, yeah. Um, overall, the Liz Fair record is probably a little bit better. So there you go. It goes in between Lauren Hill and Lou Reed, safely at the top of um, all the yeah the kind of the upper echelons mm. of the worst albums. In that kind of that, they're not really that bad. Actually. In that, probably shouldn't be there. Really, I mean, yeah. you know, I don't, I. In this chart, I don't think we've kind of already said it, but I don't think Lauren Hill, Lou Reed, or Bob Dylan should be in there, and I don't think Liz Fair should be either. But yeah, you know, tough tits. There we go. <laughs> Let's pick another one. Oh for yeah, next week, Renfrey. I'm rummaging around. I've got one in my hand now. <laughs> yes. Oh, next week, the self-titled debut album. <laughs> From Methods of Mayhem. <gasps> oh, it's been Tommy a long Lee from Motley time since I've heard that. Tommy Lee from Motley Crue goes new metal. Fantastic. Oh, I remember. I remember when this came out. Yeah, I own I this fucking record. Ooh, wow. Jesus. Is God. The, yeah, is there you go. The first, Spoiler. Is this the first time a broken record's come up that either of us has owned then? 
Uh, yeah, I think it, it must is. Must be. Yeah. Wow. I think okay. it is. There's mm. a couple in the hat that I own, and none have come up yet. But that's interesting. Yeah. So you've got. Yeah. So I actually have bought this on CD. I think I paid a pound for it uh, back in the day in FOP about 15 years ago. Um, just as some sort of bizarre nostalgia self-flagellation yeah um, i do that i do that occasionally i do that. like when when they're really really cheap even though i know something's dreadful if it's like two quid i'll be like oh i'll buy that for a laugh that's how i got the first coal chamber album oh you <laughs> lucky boy anyway um we'll be back with that next week um we will also be reviewing the new album from lamb of god and remember go over to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast if you're super psyched and excited about the new lamb of god record from monday um as the palaces burn and sacrament specials will be available to you uh go to musicism.net put in riot and capitals in the checkout and you'll get 25% off of their very very excellent courses and we'll be back next week for a bit of get naked <laughs> you think we talked about misogyny a lot this week fucking hell next week <laughs> it could have worked out better anyway we will see you next week bye-bye. bye bye